It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures podcast. Today, we have a super interesting guest. We have Logan Fort. Uh, Logan is not in our regular cachet of guests that we have. I know we've been running, running, running a lot, but today we have someone who's, I would say, an adventurer. He's uh, very big into fitness. He also runs, and but he's primarily an outdoor adventurer, hunter, fisherman, just into all kinds of things outdoor, just loves the outdoors. So maybe I can say outdoors one more time. So uh, military buddy of mine from South Carolina, where dating your cousin is a a common thing. So, <laughs> so Logan Fort, welcome to podcast, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, our family tree is like a palm tree. We don't branch out. <laughs> this is like a fucking telephone pole. <laughs> no, happy to be here, man. Yeah, it's uh, this whole podcast. You know, the last couple of years, just you know, more and more people ask me and to talk about the shit that I do, and it's just, it's kind of, it's a little easier since. You know, I definitely know you and I know Robbie, so it's it's a little easier to kind of throw it off the cusp. But but yeah, I'm just happy to be here and just kind of share my five minutes of fame and we can bullshit, maybe help some people out and bring to light some uh, questions that maybe need answered or can go from there. Sweet. Well, I have a lot of questions, so maybe yeah. uh, maybe we can get down to some some nitty gritty. So nine, um, nine inches. <laughs> you heard it there folks <laughs> ladies ladies maybe some gentlemen i don't know <laughs> hey, it's 2022 we're changing lives man yeah <laughs> so you pro- you're uh i would consider you more of a hunter than an outdoors maybe outdoorsman but hunter i don't know what do you what do you uh, what is your what's your genre i guess Ooh, that's a good good question can't spell that word but it's uh that is a dub uh yeah yeah it starts with a g um i i guess i would say you know, like a lot of guys use the term backpack hunter or whatever, but I would just say, I would say outdoorsman is kind of a appropriate term because I, I like to fish and hunt and camp, you know, t- hike the bow around for God knows how many miles and we don't kill anything, but that's all right. Um, and then, you know, picking up running with you guys and a few different things just to kind of better myself in those uh, arenas, I guess. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think, I think outdoorsman's appropriate. So we'll go with that. So, so let's go back to the very beginning. What, what kind of got you into the, uh, the outdoors? Mm, I think well, dad did just because, you know, uh, I'm sure you did the way, I don't know how Robbie grew up, but like growing up a blue collar in the South, it's just, especially a long ways from anywhere. That was just like a, a staple of everyday life, whether it be, you know, hunting around the farm or just fishing and stuff. Cause it wasn't like you just run down the grocery store, you know, it was like a make a list and we'll go once a week kind of thing. So growing up, you know, hunting and fishing, that was just, that was just that everyday thing. I just wasn't no, there wasn't anything to be thought of. And then it just kind of grew and, you know, we finally got cable at one point in my life. I don't know when that was. And then we didn't have any Cabela's, you know, that wasn't a thing in the South. So you would see these magazines and, um, you know, these big, great things that were getting hunted all over the world. And I was like, I don't know how that's ever going to happen or come into my life. And, Years later, that would change, but at the moment, it was just, you know, the typical stuff kind of in the south, you know, like white-tailed deer and turkeys and 
you know, I grew up pretty much on the coast, so we could go out in the salt water and fish for reds and flounder and, and stuff like that. So that was just the staple of, of everyday life. And it wasn't, you know, it, it just, I enjoyed being out there just because of the, the solidarity and, you know, just get out of a chaotic household at the time. So it was pretty nice to get, have some peace and quiet for a few, few, a few hours and stand or whatever. So, and it just kind of mag, it just magnified from there. I know growing up my, you know, I got into hunting fair, fairly early and I was, my grandpa was my kind of my mentor for hunting. And my grandma was the fisher woman, fisherman. Um, so I learned a lot of from fishing from my grandma and I learned a lot of hunting from my grandpa, but, but they both did, you know, both like I fish with my grandpa and I hunted with my grandma as well, but that was kind of, you know, looking back, that was who I remember teaching me, you know, the outdoors. I killed my first yeah. deer with saw. my dad. So like, I'm super proud. And I remember that, that moment, you know, and I'll remember that for my forever, but as far as like the majority of my hunting, I, you know, I remember my grandma and grandpa. So yeah, it, it, and I, I did that too. But we kind of had that same, like, you know, yeah, that same background. I always tell people like they had this super, super expensive hunting gear, you know, they're wearing like $10,000 worth of gear and like, bro, my grandpa wore overalls or liberties, Liberty or, overalls or, or blue jeans with suspenders with a, yeah. a flannel shirt, smoking cigarettes and coughing and would kill the biggest deer I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Fred yeah. bear. Fred my bear would sit yeah. out there in a flannel and just smoke deer. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that whole mindset of having the best and lightest and all that gear is just a mindset. It just, it, I think back then people were, had more of an iron mindset and they stayed out, you know, that's just, they were tougher. So this gear nowadays is tailored to the mindset of a softer generation and it allows people to stay on the mountain longer, more comfortable without, you know, having to get back to the service to check their fucking Instagram or their social media or what can I promote and all this other bullshit. You know, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of things that definitely help, you know, like, but I think that's, it's tailored to, to allow for the, uh, you know, the mind and people are just softer these days compared to how they were back in the turn of the century. You know, like those, those men and women were fucking tough, you know, like they were, they were built rugged. So yeah, I'd seen my grand, my granddaddy kill more deer in rubber boots and dicky pants out in a thousand degrees South Carolina <laughs> heat. Then it's like, he's, he's, he'd, he'd take his boot off and pour sweat out of it. And it's like, Oh my God. And you have a moon pie in one pocket, just smash. Oh Yeah. A moon yeah. pie. He's like, you want this moon pocket? No, that's moon soup. That thing has been in that pocket for an hour. <laughs> and it's 10,000 degrees because South Carolina decides to open up the season on August 15th when it's devil's asshole hot. I'm like, no one wants to hunt, but we out there. Yeah. My, my grandpa but, uh, would take four pieces of plywood, put them together, cut a little hole for a window. And then when it got yep. hot or when it got cold, he would take a, you know, the old metal coffee cans. He would put yep. a a roll of toilet paper with some alcohol in it and light the yeah, paper. just burn it. Yeah, I'm, that like was a, our heat. I remember that like like that was our that was our heat. I mean, we're not. Candle. It's it's the South cold, so it's not like cold cold. I look but, at it, yeah, as wet cold, like way different than yeah, what we've experienced out here, even up there. I like, mean, it's still a thousand yeah, 20, thousand percent humidity. So yeah, twenty five degrees in the South. I don't care. It, it's cold. It's like, cold. I just can't, you can't get the chill out of your bones. I don't know what it is. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had those memories and you know, that's, that's something that I'll live with, you know, my, both my grandparents are still alive, but I just, every time I think about hunting, I always think about, you know, just growing up and, you know, having that, those memories, like my grandma teaching me how to tie the, the Texas knot on a, on a hook and my grandpa sitting up there and killing more squirrels than I did, you know, yep. in the East Texas piney woods, but so, yeah, so that's where you got your start. So where, where does it go from there? I know you're, you're in the military, obviously, cause you're, you've been stationed with me, but you know, the, I, I know your first base was still kind of in the South, but where does the back yeah. country come from? So I, I kind of lost who I was there for a few years, in North Carolina, just because I grew up on a farm in the middle of the national forest. So it was nothing to like walk out the back door and go hunting or like load the bike up or get whatever, and just be in the woods and not have to worry. So like paying to hunt a lease or traveling multiple hours or miles to get somewhere was, it was just unheard of. So that wasn't, a, I didn't understand that. So in North Carolina, that's where I, my, I got stationed first. And I was there for eight years. So I didn't do hardly any, I did a lot of fishing, but I hardly did any kind of hunting in North Carolina. I would just drive home and hunt like around the farm and stuff. So I kind of lost who I was there for a few years. And then, you know, the early stages of me being in the military and that, that whole rigmarole. So that was, you know, you're, you get stationed around four or five different colleges as a single guy um, with confidence and cockiness rolling out of his ears. So like that was the kind of an offset of getting back to who I was. And it was 20, the end of 2015, I got, I got ordered to come out to South Dakota and I'd been wanting to get out there for a while. And I had some buddies who were like, man, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get back to who I was and everything. And a couple of guys had, had left, left here and moved, was out there. And they were just like, you need to go. Like, and I, of course I've, no one's really beaten down the door to come to come to West South Dakota out here in Western South Dakota. So I put in for it, boom, got it. And then I got lucky and linked up with Nick, which we all know Nick, well, you and I know Nick. Um, and I think that that was really what got it started because, you know, he's a, he's from Ohio tree stand guy. And then, he kind of went on the same, I would say same path, but he learned, he learned the Western side of hunting from Alaska. You know, he jumped right full force into it. And then he came down here and learned, you know, the whole spot and stock thing and the Western thing. And I remember those first couple of weeks, you know, getting linked up with him and we just kind of hit it off. I mean, you know, his character, it's, it's pretty, he's an asshole, but he's like the nicest guy you ever meet that doesn't drink. So, um, it's just, yeah. So he took me out and it was just, it was so, so beyond my understanding of like coming from the thick timber of the South and then out here to, you know, like, well, you know, Farmingdale and there's not a tree in sight besides these little sage bushes and, uh, cedar trees and draws. And he's like, yeah, we're going to do like spot and sock. And I'm like, I don't understand this. There's not a tree in sight. And he's like, oh, we, you know, we see a deer, et cetera. And we, we close the distance, especially with, you know, archery, which was, you know, if you, if you early in archery in the West, you can really hunt a lot more frequently, um, and a lot more area than with a rifle. And that's when I, I got back into shooting archery again, but yeah, those first few days, I was like, this is not going to happen. Like there's, it's, they can't be done. Like I know it can be done, but like, I, there's no chance in hell. Um, but yeah, within probably a week of messing around and blowing stocks and all this other stuff, I was able to get within like 10 yards of a deer. And my dad just happened to be out hunting with me and that was uh, the season of 2016 so right then me being super green behind the ears 
you know, I was with, I was able to get within that inside that deer's kitchen. You know what I mean? Like we were in the same kitchen together. I look at it and me being so new and, and a rookie at this, I'm like, well, all right, well, my dumb ass from the South who just mumbles around, bumbles around the, the prairie can do this or, you know, within a few first tries, like, all right, it, it's possible. So, um, I don't think I, I, I think I launched one or two arrows that, that fall, nothing was wounded. It lived happily and died probably of old age. Um, and then I've heard the that kind of, I've heard that within uh, 40 yards, you can make a lot of mistakes, but then once you're inside of 40 year, 40 yards of an animal, like the slightest sound mm-hmm. movement, like, like you said, once you're in his kitchen, I mean, 40 yards is still quite a bit of ways, but yeah, I've heard once you're within 40 yards, I've never spot and stock archery. I've always, you know, I've only done one Western style hunt, but I've heard once you're within 40 yards, like you're in his territory. Yeah. Any slight movement sound like he knows you're there and he's gone. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, back East, you know, everything is, it has to do with the scent and, you know, you're worried about this and like out here, it's just the wind. You can play the wind. um, You can get pretty damn close. And I've been fortunate a few times to notch tags with the bow uh, pretty close yardage, you know, whether it be dumb luck or right place, right time or skill or however you want to look at it. But, um, yeah, cause I didn't, I didn't hunt the 17 season. I was overseas and, but 16 learned a lot. Like, you know, like the first, I would say real hunt, I went with Nick up to Montana. He had a tag and I was just kind of tagging along and my God, I brought everything just like day hunts out of the backpack, you know, go for six to eight hours from camp on foot, you know, hunting these coolies and drainages and stuff like that. And I'm bringing like fucking med kits that you could sew up an entire platoon with like all this dumb shit. Like, and I didn't understand, I didn't understand this and he's laughing at me. Right. He's like, you don't need that shit. And I'm like, I don't know, man, like this is all new. Well, <laughs> a couple miles into like this whole Montana, like, and this is not like nasty country by any means. Uh, I knew real quickly, I got back to the tent and I started dumping stuff out. Like, nah, I'm not carrying this. This is stupid. And I even carry a lot of shit now and I've been doing it for a few more years now and I've learned the hard way and I'll, I'll, I'll probably still carry too much stuff at times, but that first few hunts, man, I'm just like, this is, this is dumb. Like, and, uh, and a lot of things have adapted over the years, but seeing like learning from him and, you know, being able to be fortunate to have some good ground to learn on, uh, that really just, I mean, trans transpired to the cra- the craze of like living out of the backpack that just, I don't know. There's just something about it that just spoke to me. I think, you know, look early days, like, you know, the outdoor channel and ESPN hunts and all this other stuff. And I remember in Cabela's, like in the back of the magazine, you could, you could see how much these hunts would cost, like, you know, an elk hunt or New Mexico, or I remember that one time, you know, before polar bear was kind of out. Well, I mean, you could still hunt it some places, but, you know, $25,000 for a pole bear hunt. Now that's, uh, yeah, you can't even get it for that. But, you know, like it just, that was mind boggling to me that people were paying such amount of money to go hunt an animal. But, you know, fast forward 20 some years. And now I understand like, you know, why these people are paying this much money, you know, whatever, if they have it and et cetera. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think linking up with Nick, and understanding it from that point of view and having someone who's a killer um, really helped out. And it just fueled it more 
and now it's just it's a it's a downhill snowball and there's no stopping it so what do you think about those guys that just pay money to go hunt as opposed to maybe like putting in the time the effort because i mean there's a lot of the animals i get some of those animals that if you really you know want to go hunt an animal like you have to pay money but i mean majority of the the stuff you could just go put in your own time and your own work and get it done but what do you think about those guys i mean there's some things that you're just going to have to pay like say if i you know stone sheep british columbia or in canada in general like i don't live in canada you know like i I will never live in canada so to you know be a resident up there to go hunt that's that's but if i ever you know started start the slam of all four north american rams you know uh rams uh a stone sheep hunt 60 grand right now um so if you wanted to complete your your slam you're gonna have to pay for it if you're a non-resident yeah and it's it's only getting more expensive um I mean, most doll sheep across Alaska, 30 grand. Uh, for a laid outfit, 25 to 30. And you're looking at a you know, 15 to 20% guide tip. So, I mean, you're, and then you got airfare and all this other jazz. But I think, you know, for some of those animals that you're looking, you know, you're just infatuated with, like say the sheep, because that's just what I'm infatuated with. You know, like there's places in Montana you can hunt bighorns every year as a non-resident. They're the unlimited tags. Um, that's a whole neat concept in itself. Um, but yeah, like I could pay the money next year, next season, like 1250 bucks, I think it is. And go hunt, have a big horn tag that I didn't draw. It's a, it's an unlimited tag. Um, but some of those units, you know, the quotas two, two Rams and, you know, you have to check in every day and all this other stuff. There's a whole, um, smorgasbord of, uh, regulations that goes with it, but I could have a big horn sheep tag next year versus like someone who's been waiting for a Missouri river breaks tag for 20 plus years in Montana. You know, those tags go for 300 to 400,000 at the wild sheep auction and all that money gets put back in the uh, conservation. But yeah, I don't have multiple commas and zeros in my bank account, nor will I ever. So I think, you know, for the guys who just are, are stacking the trophy room, so to speak, because they can, I mean, if that's your persona or hunting these whitetail, you know, big whitetail fence or high fence whitetails in like Texas and Ohio and Pennsylvania and all this other stuff. I was like, if that's your persona, then so be it, man. I mean, it's not my cup of tea. Don't just don't come like you you're bragging about, you know, we're gonna get on the fucking e-bike thing and I'm gonna I'm gonna lose my damn mind. <laughs> but they're gonna they're claiming to like they did all this work and they hunted it. And I was like, I you know, especially the high fence stuff, that's cattle. Like that's what I look at it as. I mean, you went out there, they gave you a brochure. All right, I got fucking this much to spend. Uh, we're gonna shoot Jim. Jim's three hundred and forty inch, non typical. He's four and a half years old. Is is you know all this other stuff. Um, but guys who are just doing it to add to their collection because they can or they have the money and they think they're on this some adventure, but they got a guy that holds their hand the entire time. I was like, yeah, you can kick rocks, dude. That's not for me, and I don't I don't want to associate with you. But the guys that are out there grinding. You know, um, the story just came out did you hear about the guy that died in the black hills he did not oh yeah i did yeah so that ram was his number four that was he completed the slam solo hunt out in the elk mountains he was packing it back to the truck and had a heart attack and died damn like it's 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 terrible it's tragic but if i were to go like being a clearly he's a sheep fanatic he's that was his four four rams 
uh, doll sheep, stone sheep, bighorn, uh, and desert, desert bighorn. He finished, you know, and it was on the way back to the truck and the, the good Lord or whoever his creator was, he believed in, it was like, this is your time to go. And they found him like six days later, um, by himself, solo guy, um, terrible. It's, it's a tragic, you know, but like, man, that's how I want to go out. I and mean, it's, it's shitty, but like he got it done. You know, he accomplished something. He, I'm sure he'd been after for a long time, especially drawing a tag out here, but yeah, that's yeah. not a, that's not an easy feat to do with the no, amount of money I mean, that, I mean, he's probably got over a hundred thousand dollars in tags and gear and, you know, oh, over well, the, yeah. so like at 60,000 for a stone sheep, no matter, you know, yeah. who knows when he got that stone sheep done, but I mean, he's yeah, got was, hundreds of yeah. thousand dollars probably invested into, into four, yeah. four animals. And so, I mean, yeah, if he, what a way if to get it out. done back in the seven, yeah, the 60s, 70s and 80s, maybe, you know, even then, let me look at inflation, right? They say a good stone sheep or a stone sheep hunt has been basically the cost of a good pickup truck since it really came into fruition. So you look at a good pickup truck now, what's like a, a I said one, but like high end truck, 50 to 60 grand. You know, you go back yeah. 20 years. 30 years and you got, you know, 15 to 20 grand for a good truck and so on and so forth. But yeah, you're the time's invested, you know, and you finally draw your last one is your home state of South Dakota. And you finally draw it after 20 plus years. There's, I think there's two tags for that unit maybe, or one maybe, and boom, you know, that it's just, I've, I've went out there and I've videotaped a lot of those Rams on that, that little section of mountains. And there's some really pretty Rams in there, but man, what a way to, what a way to kick the bucket, you know, like it's, that's tragic, but man, I, that, that, that's how I go out. That's, that's how I want to go out. Yeah. But yeah, paid hunting. I mean, like I'll pay transporters and they get me into the country, but as far as yeah, a guy, I don't know. Some things you're just going to have to pay for. That's just, uh, you know, the, if you want to go shoot Ibex or Marco Polos and Nargali and all sorts of stuff, like you're just going to have to, if that's, and a lot of those hunts are crazy adventurous and, you know, you have all kinds of adventure to get there. I look at it as paying for an adventure. You're not paying for an animal because none of that shit's guaranteed. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you're just paying for it cause you have it, then, you know, you're not really, you know, you're not working for it and, and like saving up for it and all that sort of stuff. I mean, like we're, we're two different people, man. Just don't, you know, just because you can write a check for it doesn't mean you got any more out of it than I did. So I, I'm I'm from Texas and Texas is probably the home of the US high fence hunts. Um you know some of the largest white-tailed deer I, I the largest white-tailed deer killed in a, in north you know in America have been taken from Texas at least you know point wise. Uh what what do, what do you think about like deer that have been introduced like the fallow deer the fallow deer has been introduced to Texas and it's like widespread within Texas and now it's a wild you know, game animal, but you can still kill, kill like major animals within, with, within Texas, within the high fence yeah, or mean, even in the wild. But what do you think about going and taking an Ibex from Texas as opposed to going to Spain and taking one? Like, even though it's on high fence, it's still wild. I mean, is that something that you would be interested in or do you actually like, let's, let's go to Spain, let's spend the money or spend, I mean, a hundredth of the price to go kill an Ibex in Texas, as opposed to going to Spain and killing one. I think, you know, for, for those kind of exotics, you know, you have your access deer and your fallow deer and there's all kinds of, I mean, there's stables you got, I mean, anything you really want, you think Texas has it right. But, yeah. you know, 
the only true wild ibexes you know is down in the floridias um down in new mexico um which is like crazy hard to draw those i would yeah. say you know, they introduced them back in the 60s or 70s i can't remember when they did and then you know over in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and, and Pakistan, you know, like I just think that that would mean more to me. Like I'm going from to where, you know, like access deer the same way, um, or fallow deer. So like that, I'm going to the, the, the home origin of that species, I guess you could say, cause I, I'm, I'm paying for an adventure at that point. I'm not paying, yeah. I'm not paying for the animal. Like, all right, it's sitting here waiting for me. Let's just, we'll do a 14 day trip and we'll draw it out. And on day 13, we'll have this crazy story, how we sacrificed and suffered. And he's just sitting there for me. Like I know <laughs> you're go, I know, go, hunting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I'm not taking anything away from the guys who go down to Texas to hunt because maybe they don't have the capabilities or the abilities to go as far as physical or financial or whatever. Um, that's, that's your own persona and that's your own prerogative. But um, like going to Texas, shooting a bunch of hogs just because they, you know, obviously everybody really knows, especially you of all the craziness that the hogs are causing the ranchers and the farmers and everything else down there. So that would be, it'd benefit a lot of people and, and it'd be a hell of a lot of fun to shoot pigs out of a helicopter. Right. Oh. Like that'd be, that'd be a blast. So yeah, that, that's all I, I mean, been even back in my mind. Yeah. And access deer, you know, if I think of a, if I was going to do it, I'd probably want to go to Lanai, you know, in Hawaii and do it. That'd yep. be kind of cool. But I mean, those are getting crazy expensive too. I mean, um, I don't know. Which it's is crazy. And like Lanai and they're overpopulating that Island yeah. and, but it's so expensive to go hunt. Yeah. And it's like, they're you crazy, would think they'd be expensive. welcoming people. I wonder how much the, the fishing game is actually like taking them out and controlling the population of them. I, as opposed I've, I've to read some of those and they're like doing 20 and 30, 40 a night. Like just depending on where they're at on the Island. Like that's I the most frustrating thing to me is fishing game, taking out these animals and most of the time dumping them, not, not giving them back to the community. Like there's tons of people that would love to have that animal yeah, to I've feed them and feed their family, but they're, they're shooting them and dumping them. And yeah. Why not just open up more tags? I get yeah. it's it's Hawaii. It's expensive to get there. The, you know, taking out you know your bow. Uh, I don't think they allow rifle on the island, but you know, taking your bow to the island is probably you know more expensive. So it costs money to go there. I get that, but it's like let more people hunt the island, or if you're going to get there, giving them unlimited amount of tags rather than you know saying oh you can only kill one or two. You know, it's like letting right. them take it as many as they want, and if they don't want to take all the meat then you give it to the community. I know that's what yeah. happens in a lot or uh, Africa a lot. Like you, you take all these animals, but you're giving them back to the communities and feeding yeah. the local communities. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've, I've read some stuff for the, the whole access thing and like Lanai and, and Hawaii. And I know a lot of those, a lot of those big names, like and they go out and like they do controlled hunts and a lot of those deer get turned right back into the community. So that's a good thing. So I, I mean, I hope they're not dumping them like that. Just doesn't make any sense to me because that's just, you know, hundreds of pounds of organic meat going right back to to, to the local populace. That doesn't make any sense to me why you would just, you know, especially when you're going to charge four or five, six thousand dollars for a uh, non-local to come in yeah. and hunt two or three of them. So, yeah, and that's you know what people understand about Africa. Like that, the Africa doesn't really. I don't really have any desire to go to Africa, but people are like. 
you know, they, they spend thousands and thousands of dollars and all it, it goes back into, you know, the preserve and then, you know, all the meat goes back to the, the local tribe or the community. So it's just a, it's a money making thing that goes back into conservation over there and back into the parks and the preserves and stuff like that. So that's where all the money goes. And, you know, people are like, Oh, they, you know, they, this tribe or this community can't kill, you know, an elephant or a rhino or not a rhino, but a hippo or something like that. It's like, yeah, they obviously can. They're not, they're definitely capable of doing this, but if they had a, you know, an outsider come in, spend X amount of money, all that money is going to go back to the preserve or the conservation to the to local community for whatever resources they need. And then, you know, that hunter comes in, he gets, he or she gets his fill of adventure. Um, you know, pictures are taken, the meat divided up into the community and then boom, it's a win across everybody there, you know, done for the right reasons for the right people. So. Yeah, I'm definitely not yeah. saying that the meat is dumped, but you just hear a lot of stories about how that yeah. happens. So oh, yeah. I'm not I mean, saying that Lanai or the the fishing game on Hawaii does that, but you, you do hear stories. Oh, and yeah. So yeah, I've heard I just, it. I like, hope they don't do that. I, I hope not, not. I hope not either because you got a lot of people who want to go do it and stuff like that, and they're charging what they really want because they have control over it. You know, it's, but yeah, I mean, those things breed all year long because it was a gift from the prince or king of india back in the 50s or 40s that's when they reintroduced or introduced them to hawaii and uh yeah they just take off like rabbits because they breed like twice a year i mean it's or something like that i don't really know but they breed because they don't obviously have winners and all this other stuff so i mean they're just constantly just popping them out like rabbits yeah for sure what's the success rate on those hunts i know like the one in hawaii and lanai um, I don't know the success rate. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can shoot rifle in some of the places. Oh, um, can you? I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I, I think I think so. Um, but I know archery; those things are crazy skittish. I mean, so that's the primary food for tigers in India. So, like, their senses have obviously not changed going from <laughs> India and um, stuff like that. You know, India and going to Hawaii. So they're they're always thinking that like it's a damn tiger, like we're going to die. So to kill one with the um, look at the, with the bow is, is crazy hard, but guys do it, you know, especially out in the lava fields, you know, and, the, and they're in these big and big herds and stuff. So it can get done. Um, but I, this depends on what you, what your method of choice is. So, but I mean, going down to Texas would probably be easier. In my opinion, you can shoot them on flat terrain and, you know, off of a water source or off of a feeder or however you want to look at it, you know? So but versus like the jungles and the lava fields and stuff of Hawaii, you know, definitely tougher. So why so, do you, um, you talk about the adventure? What's the, what's, what's an end for the adventure and for you? The process, the process, like sharing strategies with, you know, going over gear a thousand times, will this work? Will it not work? Is it new or is it old? You know, looking up new, going to a new country that, you know, I've never seen, you know, like the sheep hunt, we're going to get in, you know, like I've never been to the Wrangles ever. So like the first time, you know, like, Hey, why not go spend 10 plus days in a backpack in a tent in a, in a place that I've never seen with my eyes. So that, that just makes the most sense. Like, all right, let's load up. Let's plan for this. We'll, we'll pack and double check and just go for it whatever happens happens. So I think I'm, I'm infatuated with process. That's, I just think that's 
And I, I would assume the same thing with like a big race, like, you know, with you guys, ultra races, like it's the process, like, yeah. you know, like it's the running, it's the, you know, the friendship and, uh, you know, like the pit crews and how we're going to do this and all this other stuff, you know, just listen to you guys talk about these big races that are, t- you know, 12 hours, 24, 36 hours. You know, there's a process that goes in there. Like no one ever gets that, gets that far alone. I'm not saying, you know, but there's some help involved, whether it be con- consulting or someone pushing you or you striving to, to outrun that person or, you know, whatever, you know, I think we are, are we, motivate ourselves by other people just because like, you know, like I see what they're doing and I, I owe it to myself to push myself just as hard because these sons of bitches are getting it in. They're, they're, they're kicking ass. So, but I would say the adventure portion comes in the process because not many people get to pack ever for a sheep hunt, right? Like that's okay. just less than 1%. Like to, to have that tag, to have that chance, um, that's all you're paying for. I'm paying for a chance. I'm not paying for, you know, a guarantee. It's the process and you come back and you reevaluate the wheel and you're like, man, I didn't need this or I could use this or that. Um, it's just, it's pretty, it's humbling and it's exciting for damn sure. So the process for me. Yeah. I always say that, um, in my, in, you know, me, I'm primarily a, a runner. I do hunt as well, but my ultras, I always say that they're an individual event made successful by a team. Yeah. And so like, yeah. I mean, however you want to take that, that's, that could be meant a thousand different ways, but that's what I stand by. Like my team has saved me more times than I can count, whether it's just training for the race. Like if I go out for a 20 mile run, I'm with other people that are also doing that 20 mile run. Like there's 15 miles of that run that I want to quit, but I'm out, I'm out, I'm out running with those guys. Like I can't quit, you know? Yeah. And Robbie can, yeah, and then like, you're probably the same way. Like you have to put in so much effort for that backcountry hunt. Like you can't just go out and BS that hunt. Like you're putting in miles and miles over those 10 days. You're not just out there backpacking and hunting. You're hiking big mountains. You're, you're putting in a lot of work. And so, um, you actually have to put in time. You have to work out. You have to get ready for the hunt. You have to make sure you have the right gear, everything. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been many, many guys and gals that have killed many more Rams with way less, you know, but it's just, I, Oh, I feel like, you know, a couple of guys have, I've heard say it, you know, like I, if I'm going to take the life of something, I feel like I have to suffer. I should have to suffer emotionally, physically, fucking financially. Um, cause I'm, I am taking, I'm we taking always a life off financially. Yeah. I suffer <laughs> way more financially. People are like, Oh, you hunt because you want to save money. Like that is complete opposite. Like way. I spend money. <laughs> yeah. I don't need $500 boots to go out fucking chicken breast at the commissary. <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't need that. You know, like, ah, oh, man, this lightweight, uh, synthetic down. Like, oh man, this is awesome. Yeah. I don't need that to go buy a burger at the store. Um, I do it. I do it because like, it's part of who I am. Like I enjoy the process, the adventure, the people, the people I meet along the way, the stories shared. And it's just amazing to be out there, you know, in places that could kill you. I mean, I guess the grocery store could kill you nowadays anyway, yeah. but yeah, like, I, th- that, yeah, pretty much more likely. Like, yeah, I sleep with like slept on in, in wolf and grizzly bear territory and all this other craziness. Like 
yeah, you probably have a better chance or more of a chance getting shot at the freaking grocery store over a <laughs> 25 cent fucking Snickers bar. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just, I think it, I should have to suffer <laughs> of some, some, some form or fashion, yeah. you know, in order to take, take this animal off the mountain because like, uh, it's that, it's that, that special, like that's, it means that much to me. And if it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen, we'll try again, we'll regroup and we'll replan and we'll go again. And if it happens, it happens. If it, if it takes 10 years then so be it, but you know, I have the abilities and the capabilities to do it and I'm not going to let this slip by because a lot of people sit and watch TV shows and dream about it because, you know, they can't do it financially or physically or whatever the case may be. And, you know, or people who do have those capabilities and, and abilities and they just don't uh, like, you know, don't wait. If you have a chance, don't wait, whatever it is, not necessarily sheep hunting. If it's whatever, like just go do it. Like you don't, tomorrow's not promised. Like today's already fucking over. Uh, tomorrow I might not wake up and I'm, you know, like I gave it a damn good effort um until in the morning you know like we gave it our, our best shot and we came up short however you want to look at it but i don't think i came up short i look at it as i gave it a damn good run i've seen a lot of great things and i met a lot of great people and you know right, not taking I, those chances i'll run my 200 miler fucking do it so we've nope, been nope no we've been teasing the community a little bit about your alaska hunts but um, and I, I know you personally, so I'll have a little bit of insight, but you've done two years of sheep hunts in Alaska. Um, give us a little bit of backstory on the first one. Cause I know that was over a year ago. So you probably forgot a yeah. lot of it, but, and then let's dive oh, no. the second one or yeah, I, you don't go, really... go deep into both. I don't care. Oh, uh, we'll go, we'll go fairly short on the first one. Kind of as a recap. So both, both are 10 day hunts, both in, um, one was in 2021. That was in the Alaska range. That's about as detailed as I'm going to get because sheep hunting is sacred. So yeah, those Alaska guys like, range. keep their points. Like, Oh, I went, yeah. I, I yeah. sheep hunted in Alaska. Oh, cool. Thanks. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get in the, you, you get in the mountain range out of me. Um, it's about all you're going to get, but I mean, we know the Alaska range goes from the Canada, uh, Canadian border all the way down to the peninsula. So it's gigantic. So kick rocks. But uh, that was 10 days in 2021. We flew in uh, the 7th, stayed to the 16th. So we got in a few days earlier. The season opens on the 10th. What so month? we flew August. So this okay. is all this, both hunts are in August. Um, so early season, it, it, dep- it, it depends on what range. Um, it could be really nasty. It just happened to rain pretty much eight out of 10 days we were there. We had a few decent days um, of, uh, weather, um, but didn't see a whole lot of sheep. Nick came with me on that one. And then obviously Joe, so me and Joe both had tags. Nick was just there because, you know, I, I, I trust him on the mountain and he's been a part of a few sheep hunts. So on that, uh, that, that card in your back pocket with a little bit of knowledge always helps. And plus just, we always, we get along really well in the mountain. So it's always a good time. Um, so that one, we found one ram that was, we looking back at it, it was probably legal on age, but I'm not, I've seen too many people, you know, get their rams confiscated because they were, you know, seven versus eight, um, or, you know, the curl wasn't full or it wasn't broken off. You just hear about these terrible stories, um, and I'm, I wasn't going to be a part of it, so. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Me and him, me, me and Nick sat on this ram that we saw literally after we get, we literally got dropped off. Uh, air, uh, the the pilot took off and we're sitting there in the riverbed and we're like, oh, there's three or four ram or three or four sheep down the valley, and looking at looking at where they were and their body size, we were we were fairly confident they were rams. And this is like four and a half miles straight line down the river. And later in the hunt, we figured out obviously like the next day, actually that evening, we, we gained about another mile down the river and we knew those were rams. So we, we decided to, to chase after them, got within a couple hundred yards and one was, one was questionable. Um, but we went up another drainage, stayed in there for the opener in two or three days. And we couldn't turn up any sheep anywhere really that we could actively hike to within a few days. So we, we got out, went back up, up river and met up. We were going to meet up with Joe in the next drainage where he had, he had went in and we had seen a bunch of sheep from the, from uh, the first camp looking up into that drainage. But in the transition from one drainage to the next, uh, me and Nick ran into those three rams way down low in the mountain. And, you know, we looked at that one ram and he was dark and heavy um we're like man let's go up and get a really look at the ram because um you know we could either we're going to go up the mountain and kill him or we're going to let him go because we'd already had a few run-ins with these same three rams and there was one that was fairly pretty close that needed a, a really good look and so we went super light up the mountain dropped everything went up with just rifles and rain gear um and we got to within i think we were at 400 yards and uh you know, we're both counting eight rings, maybe eight and a half. And in the state of Alaska, um, to shoot a ram, a doll sheep on age, he has to be eight. And most of, you know, that's that's the legal uh, legal age of a sheep. And uh, it just, I wasn't comfortable shooting one on, on age. You know, if I could sit there and look at his bases and he's, and he's stacked in there and we're counting nine, 10, 11 plus, then maybe. Um, but being my first sheep hunt, you know, I wasn't going to take this Ram or, or make a, a shot at this Ram. And now for the next seven or eight days before we have to check it in, you know, my conscience is eating at me. Like, did I make a, uh, a legal kill Is it a legal Ram, you know, like, you know, and take it back to Fairbanks and, you know, get a biologist to age it. And somehow they are like, Hey, this Ram is seven. So now I have an illegal Ram it's confiscated. You know, now ramifications are coming down. It, there's just a lot that goes into it how do that you, I wasn't prepared for. How do you tell what I know when you're looking through binoculars and spotting scopes, you can you count rings. But I mean, I know some some sheep have like false rings and stuff like that. Yeah, like kind of so go through have, the process of like how how do you determine an, an age of a sheep? So I'm looking at it like you look at it as. So the Rams turn their age, they were, they were born in May. So usually um, what happens is throughout the early fall, spring and stuff, all their nutrient, a lot of their nutrient stuff is going towards horn growth. Um, so the space between each annuli, which is their growth ring, um, they start growing because a lot of nutrients are going towards their horn and that, that horn is growing throughout the summer or the spring, um, summer and into the early fall. Um, and then once it gets to the winter, that the blood and nutrients of that horn start to, to fade off. And that's where you get that, that annulai effect basically looks like a ring around a tree. Uh, so the nutrients starts to leave the horn and it basically creates a, a 
compression or basically a, a clear cut around the entire horn. That's the key. It's got to cut all the way around for it to be a true annuli. And then the nutrients goes into keeping the sheep basically alive throughout the winter of Alaska. So it, it the nutrients and all the everything that's going towards the horn or, or is shared in the horn and the body, obviously the, the body or the ram knows, hey, we need to put everyone as much weight as we can to survive, you know, a winter up here. And then once spring gets back around, um, the nutrients starts getting shared throughout, you know, the entire ram and it, it starts to put on horn growth um, for the next four to five months before it gets back into the winter phase. So in, the, in the, that time frame, um, that ram is growing its rings. So yeah, you, it's really tough to, it's really hard to age a ram. I, I know a lot of guys are really good at it and they're really confident. There's a few different methods out there, but if you can't, if you can't clearly count that ram's age um, as, you know, nine or 10 for sure that, and it matches both sides and you can clearly see it cuts through the back of the horn. Um, that's a true annuli, not a false annuli. Um, then by all means, if, if you're confident with your decision, then so be it. But, you know, I'm looking for that hundred percent legal Ram where he's, you know, both lamb tips are broomed off for sure, which is the first half inch of that horn. Um, if it's broomed off on both sides, um, then he's hundred percent legal. Like, um, that's, what is, that's the what kind of Ram. Broomed off mean? Well, they call it broomed or broken. So most of the time, if you see a big, like a big horn, um, most of the time on an old Ram, uh, their tips are really worn off and smooth. They don't have lamb tips because they've they're but they're a different, whole different um structure as far as, you know, them um how they how they broom or break them off. But in like with with thin thin horns and dolls, um if the if that lamb tip, the first half inch, um, or you can tell that the lamb tip, which is this first year of growth, is completely gone on both sides um uh then that ram is legal so it doesn't you don't have to worry about age or a full curl or anything like that if if that that lamb tip is missing on both sides um broomed or broken uh, then that ram is legal and usually you'll see that in older rams um uh, just because they've been around they fought and they broke it up on where the rocks or you know they're fighting or however you know um however it happens you know, uh, digging around in the dirt and the, and the shale and the stuff like that, you know, it'll, it'll get snap it off or however, you know, it occurs. And if they, they're clearly gone, that Ram is hundred percent legal. And that's kind of one of those things where you see some big crazy twister that he's way past the, the base of the horn and he's just, you know, crazy, crazy curly. Then yeah, that that's one of those hundred percent Rams. But I think those, those Rams that are broomed or broken, um, this really great character Rams and you, you'll, you know, I, I can see these pictures and stuff and I'm sure I have showed you, but those Rams are special. Like, cause those, you know, those Rams are, you know, an upper age class Ram on the mountain. Um, so it's, it's fun to chase those old warriors. I haven't seen one. Uh, I actually, I did in Denali park. If you go out on Savage river, there's some giants out there, but obviously they're protected. So, but it is cool to see like those are hundred percent. Like a lot of those Rams are just hundred percenters. Like there's no question. I mean, they're crazy long, um, but yeah, it's cool to see those. So what, what, what gave you the drive to go on your first sheep hunt? Like, what was that like? I got to go do this. 
well, I didn't really, I didn't really think it was going to happen. And then I, you know, was able to, to gain my residency, stay for my full 12 months and then some, and then, you know, get all the legal, legal paperwork, fill it out. And like, Hey, I'm, this is where I want to stay and keep my residency for Alaska, especially as long as I'm active. And this, that's where I'll, I'll end up one day whenever, you know, I retire. But once it became to kind of like, man, this could really work out, you know, the gears started turning and me and Joe started talking and me and Nick started talking. And, uh, you know, it had always been kind of a pipe dream because I'd, I'd heard about Nick's stuff when I first got here. And I had seen like sheep hunts way back in the day, like you know, TV and stuff. And I was like, and you heard about it's sheep is a money game as far as, you know, you have to have kind of money to play the game, whether it be just for the travel and the gear and all this other stuff. So seeing those pictures and stuff and watching those videos, you're like, well, that's never going to happen. And by dumb luck or whatever you want to call it, got orders up there, gained my residency, met some amazing people and got a game plan together. And then it came down to it, you know, like everything was lining up and I got to extend a few months to stay there and, and get into sheep season and was able to get that one hunt shared it with some amazing people and the whole, like, like going back to it, like the process of, and really diving into like not many people get the chance to pack for a sheep hunt, whether it be on a harvest ticket, a limited draw, or you paid for a guided hunt. Like, you know, this, it's a pretty special moment when you're sitting there weighing food and you're weighing this and you're weighing that. And like, I don't need to take this because I can do this or I can do that or, are we getting flown in? Are we hiking in? Are we taking horseback in? Um, it's just, it's a pretty special thing, especially being up there in the middle of it all in Alaska. And, you know, that really kicks off the season. I mean, caribou kind of kicks it off too in July, but August is like sheep time. You know, that's just, it's a, it's special. It's really special. You see people's success and you hear their stories and stuff. And it's like, man, and you see that, that monarch on the mountain and it's just, there's nothing like it. Um, so yeah, I always, get, I always get super excited when like my friends run hundred milers and get their buckle. Yeah. It's gotta be kind of the, the same aspect. Like we were saying, like you see people that, you know, personally that have been successful in those big hunts that put a lot of time and effort into it. And it's, yeah. that's kind of a, a special moment. You know, maybe you had a little bit of hand in that and helping them pack or train or, you know, just yeah. being a friend in general, it's, it's, it's a super happy moment for you. You know, like I, I don't know. That's me. I mean, the first time I saw one was right there in Bison Gulch, which if you went to, you've been to the park, you've driven past Bison Gulch, right? Like right there in, in Healy. And they were up on this mountain face, like right off the road, bunch of ewes and lambs, but like I damn near ran off the road. Cause like when you drop down <laughs> in there, you go over the, you go over the bridge, right there. They were right there. So I like freaked out. Cause like at this point, like we're getting cl- like, I'd already been in Alaska for a while. We're not a while, a couple months and the gear started to turn like, Hey, this could really come to come to, um, like it could happen. And, uh, I remember seeing them cause I was literally going down to the park to find them. Um, and boom, they're right there on the side of the like, side of the highway. And it was just using lambs, but it was, I mean, they were on this rock face and it was just awesome to see them. And, you know, I break the spotter out and I film them and stuff and, you're just looking at it like, man, it's, it's a special thing. And everybody's got that, gets that one animal that just intrigues them. And sheep is for sure that, um, now after having that elk experience last week, I think elk might be number two, but 
sheep will be forever number one as far as I, I'm concerned because of, you know, going back to the process and where they live and the the whole thing, you know, as far as the the pinnacle in the mountain, so to speak. But yeah, yeah, that that was pretty special to, to get that chance. And now I get to keep that chance as long as I, as long as I really want. So, so based off of your story and I already know, but it, it kind of seems like you were unsuccessful that first time. I would say unsuccessful, um, not in the tag. Yes. I was very much unsuccessful in that, but as far as success on the mountain, as far as learning a lot, and there was a lot of laughs there was some moments that I like, I'll never do this again. But as soon as you, as soon as you get in that, that cub or that aircraft or how, like as soon as you leave, like, and my hunt's done, we were 20 seconds off the, off the run or off the riverbed. And I'm like, well, I can't wait till next year. Cause like, there's, there's nothing like it. I mean, we had yeah. some great success. We found a lot of sheds. We, I mean, we saw this and we, I mean, we saw sheep and we saw, saw moose and caribou and, um, you know, we shared moments together and it's just, it was very much successful in that, you know, but if you look at it as notching a tag, no, I did notch a tag and, but it was all right. Cause I still got it. You know, I, I got that tag at the house and it's a very special one. Cause it was my first ever one that'll, that'll forever be with me and until, you know, as long as I live probably. So I would say that you, you didn't get an animal, but it was definitely a successful hunt. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like like a like a hundred mile marathon, right? Like you might not win it, but you you completed it, so it's still a success, right? Like yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like it was a it was an amazing experience, and I and if anybody's out there like has the the um anticipation to go on a sheep hunt or a big game hunt, whatever, and you have the, the abilities and capabilities, like just go. Like um, you know, a lot of those a lot of those nights out there, it was you know like it was rough and it was, I was tired and it hurt and it was, and just, you know, all this, I would say bad stuff, but those are the stories you remember. You don't remember the hunts that went perfectly. Like, I mean, you do, but like the ones that suck the most or had the most adversity, like those are the ones you remember, like, man, that yeah. we almost fucking died, you know? And like, um, <laughs> those are the, the runs or the hunts or the adventures that, that really stick with you. Like, man, that, that shit could have ended real bad. So yeah. It's like 2.30 yeah, in more. the morning when you're running through ice and snow and you're like, hmm, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, like, should I, should I be here? Like, um. No, I should definitely but be those, here. Yeah, those are the moments that define you. And, you know, it's like, you know, I didn't die. So that's all right. We'll be back next year. We'll try it again. And we'll have a different outlook. Not maybe a different outlook, but we'll have some intel to go off of and, you know, different gear or, or better gear or lighter gear or however you want to look at it, you know. So train better, train harder, train however you want. But yeah, 2021, I learned a lot. So, so jumping to 2022, and, you yep. decided to go back. Yep. Oh yeah. It was, I, I was already decided to go back when I, like we landed back in Healy. Like I was like, all right, we'll, we'll go back next year. And I wasn't sure if I was going to go back into the same range you know, I'm talking to a bunch of biologists and listening to different sheep and, you know, guys hunting and where was like the best, the best concentration of rams and, and just sheep in general. And it seemed like everybody was kind of pointing towards the wrangles. So that's where I decided to go. We got flown in 
Where are um, angles compared to the Alaska range where you were the first time? It's south, southeast, kind of the southeast portion of the state. That's kind of where the Wranglers are at. Okay. Um, really nasty, nasty country. That's where the Swank Ram, which is the world record doll sheep, that's where it came out of was the Wranglers. Um, and that's a like a 190-something. It's huge. Right? Just look up Swank Ram. It was killed back in the 60s, and that record still holds true to this day. And it's wow. – uh, yeah, they came out of the Wrangles, but I mean, there's sheep in really every range across Alaska from the Brooks down to the Whites, Alaskas, Chugach, Talkeetnas, Wrangles, um, the Kenai. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, but the Wrangles seem to be the, the hot choice. So got with an air service, um, got a flight booked in December um, to go ahead and get my name on the books. And like I talked to them already, like they start they start booking for the 2023 season next month, I think. And I'm, I have me and Nick already talked, like we're going, we're going into the glacier area. Like I want to go hunt glacier. Like if there's any Rams in there, it's going to be big old Rams hopefully. And that's where we're going to go. But where's, where's glacier? What range is that? It's going to be in the Wrangles, but like a, okay. a glacier drop off versus, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say, you know, a little easier country than what we went into, but, um, it was still, still, a, a, you know, we did 40, 40 some miles in 10 days, maybe, um, you know, with 40 to, you know, 60 pound packs. So luckily they get lighter unless you come out heavy with a Ram. So you get kind of lighter cause you're, you're eating food and you're, you're eating that pound and a half a day or pound 1.7, which was mine, 1.5, 1.7 a day. So you're trying to eat everything you can. Cause I don't want to carry it the next day. I want them. I'm trying to eat everything I can because um, that that extra pound a day and pound and a half, three pounds and you know four pounds, it adds up quick. So, but no, we decided to go into the Wrangles, me and you know, buddy Chris. Um, so that was, and we decided I decided not to go into the opener. I decided I wanted to go into the second kind of time frame where you got flown in the 19th. Flew up a couple of days early to Fairbanks and then linked up with Chris, and we you know we kind of. I stayed with him for a few days and then we, we made the drive down and got flown out. So it was from the 19th to the 28th of August. And, uh, the weather was, I mean, a completely different, um, this time of year, um, kind of caught a, a really great window. I mean, highs in the fifties, um, maybe I think sixties one day, beautiful bluebird skies. I mean, we had no issues with weather. I don't think it rained on us, but maybe once. And that was at the tail end of the hunt. Um, got cold a few nights, but nothing like unbearable. I mean, like it touched maybe high twenties, maybe low thirties frost, but that was about it. So the difference between this, this hunt and my first hunt is we shared a lot of gear. So we shared, we only brought one spotter versus, you know, a few spotters, three spotters. Cause we were three, three guys last year, you know, we used one shelter versus you know individual shelters, which is, it's kind of difficult with three dudes. Um, you, you know, you, you kind of want your own space, but that's where, you know, that's what this hunt changed. And then we'll do the same next year with if Nick and I go together, then it'll be the same thing. One spotter, one, because you can really lighten up a load. Um, I think I was at 44, 45 pounds going in 10 days worth of food and gear. Uh, now I was with that water. I knew we were going into a place with water, which Alaska, you pretty much have water everywhere, but you never you know, I did a lot of research and asked, asked a few guys, you know, how the water situation was. And there was, you know, obviously there's streams and creeks all over. So I knew I didn't have to pack water in. I think I had like a half an algae going in, but, um, the capability to carry, I think 
my my carrying if i needed to go up high like above above tree line way up in the crags you know versus having to drop down and get water luckily we had water high you know i could carry eight liters so that was you know i could i could do a few days up there without having to drop down and get water which is a big deal in, in some places but luckily we had water up high not literally 100 yards from camp and that was at 6800 feet which is you know, fairly high, you know, in Alaska, a lot of people don't realize you basically start out at, at sea level, you know, like where you're at, it's at four or 500 feet, right? Like versus out here in South Dakota, you're at 3,500 feet. But I think the airship was at 45 or 46, maybe I can't I have to look at the map, but I'm at 644 was, feet. Exactly. So like, <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, Denali's right down the road from you and that's at 20,000 feet. So like, it's a crazy jump. Um, an well, elevation the tip of Denali is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's just like from where you're at to Denali, and you can see it from work. Yeah, um, that's just crazy. It's that you know that much higher, you know. But um, you know, in, in ten days, I think, um, you know, we got in, we got into seeing sheep day one. We saw sheep every day, I think, except for our last day, like of pickup. But we saw sheep right away and they were the opposite direction of where I'd had planned to go. But looking back, you know, it was going to be a rough go of it. If we'd have went over that knife edge into that nasty country, not that I don't think we could have done it, but it would have not have been as I would say enjoyable, but it, it's hard to turn down leaving sheep where you see on a mountain face to go find sheep. Right. So, I mean, and I could, I could tell at three or four miles that the two sheep we seen them like right off the bat, maybe an hour from drop off was Rams, um, just by their body size. I could see the horns from that distance. Um, so we're like, let's go. And I had talked to a guy who, who would, who would get dropped off there. The not last season, but the season before the air service, uh, was able to link me up with a guy and he was gracious enough to share his, his, um, his adventure in there. So that got me thinking of that, that spot in general south of where we were initially going um he's like hey check out this creek and sure enough um there was sheep all over that that area we saw probably man i, I don't know 60 to 80 sheep total in 10 days which is oh wow a huge a huge difference compared to my like 2021 hunt we've probably seen 20 or 30 total um and that was mainly we saw most of our sheep you know, on the, on literally the first day and you know, looking up different drainages and stuff, but you know, bad weather and, you know, Nick got kind of sick there for a few days. So we didn't really do a whole lot of traveling because, you know, I, I don't want to leave my buddy, you know, it's just, it's a, you know, sheep hunting is a fucking combined effort. Like a lot of guys yeah. do it solo and they do some crazy stuff, but like, you know, he was gracious enough to come up and join me. So it's, it's just, even though he doesn't have a tag or can't pull the trigger, like it's just as much his hunt as it is mine. Like, yeah. Um, cause he's going to help pack out some of that meat. You know, he's, he's there for support. He's there for knowledge. Like it's just as much as his hunt as mine. So, um, but going into this 2022 hunt, um, there was a lot of gear changes. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't redundant on a lot of things. Um, and I still was pretty light back, you know, in, in 2021, I, I got a bigger pack, not necessarily to fill, fill it up more. Um, but just to be more comfortable and obviously have room for hopefully cheap meat on the way out. Um, but it was, it worked, everything worked out pretty well, especially, uh, sharing a spot or sharing a tent. Um, that was pretty beneficial. 
And then being able to have water up high and not having to carry it um, was was crazy, crazy beneficial having a spring that high up. And that's why those sheep are in there. I mean, they didn't have to drop an elevation, even though they were they were all the way down from to the creek we started and crossed over all the way up to the top um, in the crags. And they were sheep all in that that drainage. Um, we just couldn't find one. Um, spoiler alert: that was that was legal. <laughs> And we, we probably saw 20 or 25 rams, which is amazing. Like for the sheep population for that range, um, it's great to see that, you know, there's sheep thriving in there because they've had a, they've had a few bad winters that, you know, it, um, that's really hurt the population of sheep, but to see that many sheep on the mountain and a lot of up and coming rams that were pretty close on age on curl, um, that was, it was awesome to see. And we saw literally sheep all the way out as far as flying out, you know, different faces and um, different drainages. You can look down, you can see a few white dots and we're like, man, that's good. And I think they have like 16,000 documented or, or, you know, I forgot how the pilot li- I labeled it, but you know, they have the most amount of label or, or counted sheep in any of the ranges in Alaska, which is good. I don't know that for fact, but you know, he's, you know, he sees the park every day you know, down there in the preserve. Um, so I have no reason not to believe him, but, um, this hunt was, and the weather was great. You know, I went in a lot lighter as far as pack wise. Um, the terrain was a little more enjoyable. We didn't have to bust brush as much as far as alders and, um, going tussocks and muskeg and stuff like that, getting into, into sheep country. We had a big push, um, you know, from the airship to where we started to climb up the creek bed, it was like, or maybe to like a, our final camp spot was like 13 miles and some change, something like that. So in the grand scheme of things, not really that far, but you're still seven or eight hours on a light light pack back to the airship. Um, so yeah, we uh, saw sheep every day, saw a really big grizzly that Chris had to, I wouldn't say talk me out of shooting, but we're talking about a seven or eight foot interior grizzly, just a big boar day two on the Creek. You know, um, we had a plan like, Hey, if he comes within say 500 yards from camp, I think it was, then we'll go after him because having that big a bear around camp, um, is, is, is kind of a problem. Not that we were really too worried about it, but you know, he was a big boar. He was definitely in charge of that Valley. And, you know, I, down in that unit, you know, my, my general, hunting tag hunting license and and is good for um a grizzly bear and the season opened september 1st and we were our, our august 1st sorry and we were well within our, our august 10th i think it's august 10th but we were well within the season was for sure open and it was 100 percent legal to go out to that bear but you know now we waste the day caping it out you know getting the flesh fleshing it out getting all the meat off the cape you know turning the ears on the skull getting that taken care of um, you know, it's just, it, it was taken away from the, the reason I was there when the sheep was the, is the mission. So that was, that was the decision, even though it was a, just a, a gorgeous big boar, um, that we later saw on the way out and that we had another chance at, and I decided to turn it down, but, um, we made the push up into the crags and we were, you know, running the Creek bed all the way up and going through, you know, frozen ice melt and, you know, a little bit of still leftover glacier stuff and it was really cool to see that and you know you're drinking some of the best water you could possibly find ever you know it's literally coming right out of the stream out of a glacier field um which is, which is amazing do you filter it? and then 
Um, I, I didn't filter a lot of it. I mean, there were some, like I filtered it way up high because, um, the sheep were using it so much. There was oh, so much yeah. sheep shit around. Like, like I'm, I'm going to filter that, but like down in the lower stuff where it's literally flowing over big rocks and stuff like that, you know, I would get a, a now gene and just fill it up. Boom. Right there. Maybe drop some tablets in it, but, um, the low stuff down in the muskeg and stuff we we filtered, but like the main Creek, I didn't filter anything like the really fast flowing water. I didn't. Um, and then we got up high right from camp. You know, there were so much sheep using that little, that little Creek that, you know, there was this, you could tell there was, there was sheep tracks and sheep shit everywhere. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to filter it just out of necessity. You don't, you don't want to catch Giardia and you're 15 miles from a local, uh, the closest airship and you got to hike everything out of there. You know, like that's not a fun, <laughs> you're shitting your brains out and God knows what, you know, you're dehydrating yourself every time you go to the bathroom. So <laughs> it's worth it just to pump it out or use tabs or we, we, we use a pump, which is really nice because, you know, I just pump it right into a Nalgene. It's a little heavier, a little more bulky, but it's a lot more, I would say efficient versus like getting, being able to get your Nalgene down into deep enough hole to fill it up. And then you got to throw the tabs in, you got to wait 30 minutes and, or, you know, you can do a stereo pin and with UV light and all that jazz. But, um, we just decided to, um, I had a, I had a filter and he had a pump and we just pumped most of it and that was how we did it. So, um, those, those pumps were pretty damn good. So, yeah. So yeah. coming off of, I, let's, let's not call it unsuccessful hunts. Cause as we've already determined this, the hunts have been successful based off the knowledge 100%. and the experience yeah. and the friendships that you made, but, oh yeah. um, let's say unnotched tags. What, what keeps you driving back to go on these hunts again? You've already said that your 2023 is already pretty much scheduled and ready to go. What, what's, what keeps you driving you back, even though that you haven't filled that tag yet? I guess maybe not filling that tag is the reason, but. I think, yeah, and I don't think, you know, whenever that time comes that I do notch a tag on a ram that, that the that the passion leaves or the craving leaves or whatever you want to, whatever adjective you want to use for it. Um, it's just to be in that country, to see that kind of those animals, it's just, I have to go back. Like, it's just, there's no denying it. Like whether I notch a tag or not, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, we get on that plane and we leave. It's like, all right, well, this season's over and like, let's start planning for next year because whenever that moment happens, you know, and, and I'm able to take a legal Ram, um, it's, it's going to be, and I mean, the moment's going to be probably the, my biggest moment and personally in my life, like there's been a lot of great ones, especially this year. I mean, you, you were part of a couple of big ones, like in my professional life, like that I never thought was going to happen, which that was a huge moment in my life. But as far as like my passions and like stuff like that, and I see these people who have been struggling and, and hunting their entire lives. And, you know, they might have one shot at, at, at a ram or a sheep or an elk or a deer, you know, and they might put 10 years in before they they're successful on whatever the adventure they're, they're going after. But like right now I have the, the capabilities and the abilities to go after this passion or dream. And, um, so I'm going to go as, as fast and as hard and as long as it takes I kind of sound like a sexual reference, but, um, I want to, I want to fucking go after it. Like, it's like, I'm not going to wait. Like, and I, I want, you know, someone there to share the moment with me because it is such a special moment. Like a lot of guys 
sheep hunt by themselves and they're very successful in it. But, you know, and maybe one day I'll get to that point, but you know, these adventures are, you know, they, they, you know, share them with people you care about and you can trust on the mountain because it, um, you know, especially, you know, you have an accident or you make, you're thinking about a dumb decision and your buddy's like, yeah, it's pretty dumb, man. Let's not do that or go this way or yeah, this is actually a better route or, you know, that Ram needs a better look or that mountain looks easier or there might be water, et cetera. Um, but I think, you know, leaving those airships and, you know, p- putting the pack on for the last time, walking back to the, the pickup, you know, from the, from the runway or the flight or whatever, it's like, man, that sucked. You know, there were some ups and downs, but man, I can't wait to do it again next year because it's fucking special. That's yeah. for sure. It's probably just like running a hundred miler. Like Robbie and I both have experienced that. And it's like, once you finish a hundred miler, well, for us, when you finish a hundred miler, you're like, I'm never fucking doing that again. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then after a yeah. week, you're like, man, that was amazing. I don't know. This last one, I was like, I, I had a little bit better training under my belt. And so I, I felt a lot better at the end, but it's just something that you can't describe to someone who hasn't done a hundred miler. Like you have put your body through the absolute most that you're well, I mean, there's 200 milers. So, <laughs> but in, in your opinion, at that time, you put your body through what you feel is the most that you could put your body through. And you have worked your little literal ass off to get where you are. And you, hold that buckle in your hand and you have eight to 10 months of training for that piece of metal, you know, and like I wear my buckles everywhere I go. And I say this all the time. Like if you see me and I have a pants on that could have a belt on, I have my buckle on. Yeah. But the pure fact that like I worked my ass off for that buckle. I'm going to wear that buckle. Yeah. And so like, I feel like that's kind of the same concept. Like, you worked so hard for that hunt and though you weren't technically successful for it, you, you know, you took away a huge understanding and love and passion for it that you just got to go back for another. Yeah. It's kind of like, like you got to get your next hit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a drug that I, it's a drug that I never want um, a cure for, you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know how much meth is or fucking heroin, but like <laughs> I, I'm okay with having the sheep, the sheep drug. Cause like, that's, that's my thing. Cause like I'm, I ran with you for like 13 miles of that 60 K or whatever that one was. We ran together back in before I left for Alaska. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And it was yeah. like, that was all I thought you were going <laughs> to die. And then here we are fast forward three years and or two years, I guess. And you're doing, you know, multiple, you know, like these long distance, hundred mile, 50 miles. And it's like, you're helping others. And it's like, man, you came a long ways in this whole running thing. It's, and that's your passion. And that's, it's fucking awesome to see someone thriving and uh, striving to help others in something they love. And that's kind of how I am with, you know, getting the camera and going on these hunts with other guys and taking pictures and doing these things. Like, cause I, if that's your moment, like I want you to be a part of the moment and like, I want to be there to capture that moment for you versus you like pulling out your phone or like, like just be in that moment, be attached to it because you only get it. You only get that first kill one. So you only get that first Ram or sheep or, or uh muley or whatever once like, and I, to be a part of that with other guys and, and, and gals, like that's just, it's a special moment. Like you'll never, 
have another hundred mile finisher for your first time. Like you only get that once. Right. And like, that's yeah. a special fucking thing, you know? So like, like hanging on to that moment, whenever you notch that first tag for a sheep or a deer or elk or whatever it is, or you complete that hundred miler or you make rank or whatever, like that's a big deal. Like you only get that once, you know, like it's, it's pretty damn special. And I've been able to share a few of my first with some really good dudes. Um, and it just means everything to share that moment with them. That's for damn sure. So you had mentioned uh, your huge moment that I experienced with you, and I know what your huge moment is, but um, talk about your huge personal moment, not in hunting, but talk about what happened this year that kind of, I don't know, you mentioned it. And, and, and the, the, two or three listeners that are listening right now are like, what is he talking about? (laughs) No, it was just, um, well, like obviously I I made a rank that, um, that I didn't think was, well, I guess I did. That's kind of a poor choice of words. I I thought I was deserving and maybe that sounds tongue in cheek or whatever. Like I, I had made it up this year because I I've seen other individuals carry that, carry the rank that I made. And I think they carried it poorly. And I was tired of seeing them, you know, above me. And then I just, I, I took a stand because I, I was tired of it and people were giving me chances because they thought I was deserving of it. You included. And I was like, these guys and gals are giving me chances. Like, Hey, we, we think you're ready for this. Like stop my dumbass. study 30 minutes a night or an hour a night and make it count. And it just so happened to be in the most stringent, promotion cycle in the history of our career field and maybe the air force. And it just so happens that I happen to be one of the 20 selected across the entire force of 400 and some eligible, eligible NCOs. Right. So, and to get to share that with you guys, um, I can tell you one thing that was the longest 15 minute drive from base the downtown that I've ever had in my life. And if you guys were pulling a prank on me, I was prepared to burn everything down, dude. <laughs> I was like, we're burning it down. Like I just had a feeling and it, 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 it came fast. And I, it, I guess I, it came, uh, um, when it was just my time. That's just how I look at it. Like, yeah, I could probably have made it, you know, years and years beforehand, but maybe this wasn't my time. Um, just the same thing as sheep. Like I can hunt for another five years or 10 years or whatever. And, and it does not come But not necessarily because I'm not giving a, a effort or trying, but it's just whatever you're, whatever you believe in your creator, your chi, your whatever, you know, if it's just your time, you know, like the old timers say the, the moment, the day you start sheep hunting, um, is when you're, or you think about sheep hunting or you, you're planning your sheep hunt, your first sheep hunt, that's when your, your Ram is born. Right. So if that's the case, you know, I have another six years before I ever knock mine down, whether yeah. that's true or not, but it's just, a, it's a concept to look at. Like this shit's not going to be easy, right? Like no one says running a hundred miles is easy. No one says taking a Ram off the mountain is easy or getting promoted or being successful in life. Like that's just not easy. Like, you know, if you find something you're passionate about, like, then go after it fucking full tilt. And yeah. that, that's what I've done the last five or six years, really. And it's benefited across everything, personally, personally, emotionally, physically. Like I made a lot of great friends, met a lot of great people. And uh, it just seems like it's catching off like wildfire. Like literally met, you know, 
my buddy Jake that I went on elk hunt with never met before in our lives. Um, we've conversed over social media and like obviously text messages and phone calls and met him on the side of the road in Montana. And two and a half days later, he's packing out his first archery elk, which was to see that moment literally five feet from him, um, for him to accomplish that, it was like, I could kill a hundred elk in my lifetime, but that was just as much special, more, this is special seeing him succeed and knowing how hard that guy's worked, um, was, was, was amazing. Uh, yeah. just like seeing, you know, you being a part of other people's success, uh, hundred, hundred mile races or 50 mile races or first five Ks, whatever it is, seeing that person overcome adversity and, and just whatever, you know, is, is pretty damn special. And to see that was, was pretty amazing. So. So you're talking, you've talked about the last two sheep hunts were uh, successful, even though you didn't get them. What is yeah. a, have you ever had a felt hunt or what is a felt hunt to you? Uh, I don't think I've ever had a failed hunt. I think a failed hunt is all in the mindset. Uh, I mean, I've got blown off the mountain. I've got blown, you know, where it's just been shitty conditions. But I think if you if you leave a hunt and you look at it as a failure per se, not necessarily you're not taking something home. I think it's that's all in the mindset because I mean, the last eight days I've driven like 1,500 miles, and I have I have only I haven't brought anything home as far as like physically an animal, right? And I can't wait to go back. So I think if if you look at it as a failure, you know, like you know, like when Justin did that that run from Sturgis to or to where was that race at, Justin? The Sturgis to the hell was that lake? Oh, Dalton Lake to Sturgis. Yeah, Dalton. Like, if you looked at that as a failure, right? I think you're failing yourself because there was a lot of growth in there. Because I, I thought my buddy was going to die on the on the on the trail because I was going to have to go back and tell Bethany like, hey, this he is dead. Um, I don't know how to go. <laughs> we have to go back and get him. But there was a lot of growth in that, and I think um, there's a lot of growth on the mountain. Whether you know you fail, like your gear fails or your body fails or whatever. And luckily, you know, I haven't had any really big gear failures or any body failures that where I like couldn't leave on my own accord. Um, just been weather or maybe the numbers aren't there or, you know, you gave it your damn, your best. And it just, you know, you just carried your bow around your rifle around for an entire season and, and nothing was either, you know, able or, or worthy or however you look at it, you know, you just, you gave it a, a shot and you go back to the drawing board and you're like, did I really give it my best? Like, you know, and like, it's easy to just like get in the truck, drive back home. Like, all right, I'm done with this. Um, like some of those hunts in Alaska, that's not possible for Canada or even you know the wilderness areas in the lower 48. Like, you know, you're, you know, seven or eight miles from that truck. Like, it's not like I can just run and sprint down there. I mean, well, maybe you some of the bitches can, but <laughs> You know, like I got 40 pounds or 30 pounds or 20 pounds. Like I'm in boots and like, I just, it's not a, a quick fix. Like I have an in reach, but if I hit the button, you know, it's not like an instant helicopter comes down. I'm out of right. there and no one's asked, no one asks questions. Same thing. Like on your bighorn 100, right? Like you're just deep somewhere in the bighorns. Like, oh, I'm done. You know, like someone's going to come pick me up. Someone else is going to, now someone else has to go out of their way and help you because you emotionally or physically or mentally broke down and decided like, this is a failing moment. I look at it as a, it was a failure, but I I've had, I was, I, w I wouldn't say I've had a failed hunt. I, that's the way I look at it. Cause if I'm doing it cause I love it 
and the same thing with the job at, you know, like the job, I tell the young guys all the time, I was like, if you leave work and you've made it 1% better, or you've learned one thing and I've done my job as, as a seasoned firefighter, or, you know, like if you look at it as a shift, as a failure, then that's all mindset. Like if you didn't get anything right. out of it, whether it be lie or laughs or dumb jokes, like, like on a Sunday, Justin, you know how it is right here on a Sunday. It looks like a fucking ghost town, but we, we had a great breakfast and all this other bullshit. We talked about, how the Cowboys suck all day, especially. Oh, whoa, 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 um, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Cowboys didn't play today, so, you know. <laughs> I don't give it, yeah. But it, they basically did play. They didn't win anything. I mean, Carolina didn't like, win either, so let's go. I don't give it. You can't, yeah. Well, we beat, I'm a Gamecock guy, so we beat Charlotte Independence School of the Blind by like 50 points. We know you like Cowboys. <laughs> so, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I, I, going back to your question, Robbie, like I don't want to beat this horse down the trail anymore, but. I think it's it's all perspective and like I you sign up for the ultra racing ultra racing reference there beat the horse down the race for your oh yeah well you know I'm I'm basically an ultra runner myself I've 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 ran like I I I ran a combined like sixty miles with you guys in like nine months of (laughs) of running so I basically am an ultra he said he identifies as an ultra (laughs) oh I get I identify as an ultra runner so. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's all in the mind. If you look at it as a failed a failed attempt, then it's I look at it as as learning. Like we learned, like all right, this gear sucks, or my training sucked, or my mental men, mental state sucked, or like I'm tired of sleeping in the bed of my truck. I'm tired of sleeping on the ground. I'm tired of running these damn mountains. You know, it's a thousand degrees. Justin's wanting to run it at three o'clock in the afternoon, and I didn't eat anything. And I'm hurting on the mountain, and it's like <laughs> this is dumb. It's just an experience, right? It's an adventure. It's like, well, yeah. Let's see what today brings. Fuck it, let's go. So, and it's there's there's usually more laughs and when you're in the pain than you know regretting it and being forever in pain. So. Talking about that, you know, you see a lot of people out doing crazy stuff like Cam Haynes. He runs marathons. Um, I personally have met Cam Haynes at a hundred mile race. And, you know, he runs hundred milers and prep for his elk hunts. It's like all these people run, sometimes run ultras or lift crazy amounts of weights and, you know, do cardio and stuff like that. Like you're, you can't just get off the couch and go play in the Alaska range and try to no, go to true. a sheep hunt. So, <laughs> no, like, I mean, you're going to have to do something. What, what do you do pre- pre- to prepare for it? Well, I still, I still, or do you running. still like, just identify for a, as an ultra runner? <laughs> I don't think identifying Absolutely. as an ultra runner is going to get you, uh, get you up the mountains. No, because it, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll hinder, not hinder, it'll humble you really quickly. I still <laughs> run like, like I could tell you that, like that first Thursday that you finally got me out there, it was like the hottest fucking day of the year. And I was, well, that's your prepared. fault for choosing to come that day. Well, I, I figured, I was like, well, if we're going to do this, let's make it the most miserable yeah. day. And he was like, oh, it's a short day. It's like six miles or five miles, wherever the hell it was. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds perfect. And um, I think it benefited a lot, especially in the sheep hunt. I mean, I, I wasn't really, I wasn't really tired at all, but I look at like the way I train is like, like a hybrid, like a hybrid athlete, I guess you could say it's kind of a new, new, not really a new thing. Like I still like to do functional movements. Um, I, I really had a big background in Olympic lifting kind of get away from that but i still have that mindset and and being you know and training explosive movements and then having that endurance and like long distance you know like running 
Um, it helps on the mountains because you're going to carry that pack for one day, three days, seven days, 10 days. Like it's not like you have to go very fast for a short distance. You know, that's, that's also a, a big thing to have in your training, um, toolbox, but just to be able to put that pack on say for an hour a day or whatever, and just not take it off and constantly move for 60 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever, whatever time you have allotted, um, just to be able to start it and finish it. Uh, under your own accord, uh, I think it's that's pretty big. But um, going back to like my CrossFit days and using that as a kind of a template to build off of, to build functional fitness in a, in a sense and functional like you know I don't really do a whole lot of bodybuilding like isometrical work, but there are some things in there I think benefit from that to strengthen certain um, aspects of of fitness. But I think incorporating um, the the whole um, ultra running kind of style or like trail running is, is super beneficial or it definitely benefited me. But it's in my arena, like nothing gets over, nothing can prepare you for throwing on a 40 pound pack and going all day long. Like, um, so like to, to put a pack on whatever, like, and I look, I, I use some of the more shittier packs because it's not as comfortable and it's going to be, you're going to be uncomfortable, but you have to be, comfortable being uncomfortable if that makes sense like yeah it's just gonna where you stole that from (laughs) yeah i i basically stole i made it my own just like uh as identified as an ultra runner (laughs) robbie i feel like you have a task ahead of you to make him an ultra runner yeah yeah it's not a hard task they already yeah. identified twenty six point three miles. Oh my god! Three miles and done. Don't let me get into this conversation. <laughs> Let's not get into this conversation. There it is. Yes, you're um, right. Anything over a marathon is an ultra. However, every ultra runner out there will say a fifty k. Yeah, then get get fucked in their Subaru too. I can care less. <laughs> I will drive that until the world falls off. <laughs> and you're thirty miles to the gallon. How dare you, sir? Over here spinning. <laughs> five dollars a gallon for fucking filling up the white beast driving back and forth to montana like it's going out of style yep but I yeah laugh, Robbie, i, I laugh mean, in subaru yeah i know but <laughs> yeah the whole well the whole training thing as far as i, I just look at it as being well-rounded right having the stamina portion the, the absolute strength because yeah you can run 100 miles but if you don't have uh, absolute strength to get off the damn the mountain with a hundred pounds in the pack and like stabilize yourself and walk your ass back to the truck. You can run a thousand miles non like if you don't have the strength to get off and carry it, it doesn't do you any good. You know, yeah. that's where yeah. I guess that's where you have e-bikes. Like e-bikes can carry you out because you're a lazy piece of shit. Yeah. You mentioned e-bikes earlier. Let's, let's talk Dude. about that. I know. Uh, what, what is your passion with riding an e-bike? I know you love e-bikes. So. I think, I think there's a time and place for e-bikes as far as getting kids in the outdoors, you know, having uh, ailments as maybe, you, you know, you're an older person or you're just, what you have a handicap of some sort, but like, if you're a capable and able adult to get into the woods and you're using this electronic bike to get you in quicker, to save on time, I think you're missing the point of hunting because you're bypassing that hike in, you're bypassing the moments that you um, you're, you're out there in the woods for like you guys are just some of these guys, gals are just like beelining in there and 
you know, they're saving an hour on their hike and I get it right. You, maybe you have a certain amount of time, whatever, but I think you're still, uh, and what bothers me the most is some of these guys are claiming they're like putting in all this work and they're doing all this extra stuff. Um, well, what happens when you have to load that pack down with hundred pounds and hike out of there? Uh, you didn't bicycle it. You uh, good luck bicycle on that fucking thing out of there. Cause you're going to be top heavy and you're going <laughs> to fucking eat it in a ditch. Like, I'd love to see one of those guys with a moose quarter uh, hobbling their ass back to the fucking camp. It's just like, oh. you're just a lazy piece of, I mean, a lot of the guys, and I, I've, I got some guy buddies that I know that use them. And I'm like, that's your persona, but don't be like, you know, I, I, I e-biked in 15 miles. So like, well, good luck. Yeah. Hunt deeper. Yeah. You and your boyfriend. The, uh, so, uh, Logan will tell his uh, Instagram later at the end of it. But if you follow him, he's got some great content on e-bikers. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the uh, e-bike world. And like I said, like there's a time and place, I think, you know, getting the kids into hunting. Cause like, I remember as a kid, I hated just walking behind the house. Cause it, it, as a kid, you know, you're just a dumbass kid. You don't know any better. So like it was, it was hot and there was bugs. And dad was bitching the entire time. But if we were on bikes together, it might've been more enjoyable. Right. Um, but for these capable and able adults that who are influencers of some sort, and they they're repping brands that are fucking terrible or they have terrible ass, like they're just terrible people. Yeah. You guys can get fucked. I don't really care. Yeah. I think, uh, I think being somewhat in the, in the bike community, I'm not deep in the bike community, but I know, you know, a little bit, I, I think that e-bikes definitely have their place, but as as far as like what you're saying, like, no, I think that if you're a capable individual, then there's no reason to have a, an e-bike. I just, yeah, I my think opinion, your opinion, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My opinion doesn't mean shit, but I think you're, you're, you're fast forwarding through the process of which it is hunting and to, to suffer and to take an animal. And I'm not saying all the e-bike, like trails are perfect and like everything you just buzz right in there because a lot of places where I go or I want to go, like, yeah, you can e-bike in the parking lot maybe, um, or on the side of the road or wherever you decide to, to start your adventure. But like, uh, you're not taking that shit in a sheep country, which is great. Cause I'd lose my mind. If I saw a guy buzzing down a Creek bed on an e-bike, I'd probably try to throw boulders at him. I don't know. <laughs> I'd have respect for but, that guy to be honest with you. Yeah. If, yeah, if he got an e-bike back that far, you know what? Go for it, bud. Cause I'd love to see a grizzly bear run down the damn Creek bed after one of these guys on a fat tire. So, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just, it means more to, to take in the process to see them, to see the morning wake up and have my feet on the ground and connected. And, you know, and then I don't know the whole, the whole, that whole e-bike thing gets me, just gets me fired up, man. Gets me fired up. <laughs> I just want to be in the bushes with like a stick, like on big daddy, or like in the, in the rollerblades. <laughs> jump out stick your head in yeah. the <laughs> goddamn stick so hey with that yeah. being said with the the e-bikes um social media you know the old outdoor shows those they didn't show anything that wasn't successful i mean some social media but it seems like it's pretty glorified with the if you follow you know these big they're always getting something even though yeah. without getting the backstory do you think that misrepresents just the regular everyday hunter yeah i think a lot of a lot of um outdoor shows they only show the good there are some out there i think that shows both of the coin like 
if I went out every time and hunted, regardless if it was small game, all the way to sheep, if I went out every time and it was, I killed something every time, I, I think I would lose interest quickly because you're not, it's not as enjoyable because it just seems like if you don't show the, the all the failures, quote unquote, um, it's not, that's not truly hunting. I mean, some of these guys that have deep pockets and they can go on guided hunts where, you know, it's on private land and private ranches and, you know, their successes through the damn roof. That's not truly what say a blue collar individual who's hunting on the weekends, you know, that only hunts public land or whatever the case may be. That's just the average everyday Joe. That's not how, you know, it, in reality is. So I think it just, it depicts like, you know, all the good and, and all the success and all this sort of stuff. And people see this, you know, like, man, these guys are killing stuff every episode. Right. And it's like, that's not, that's not how it is. I mean, there's, there's been many a times that I've taken that bow for a walk um, and never, you know, I've, you know, never tagged out or never even drawn it back or notched an arrow or knocked an arrow. And basically I just carried around five and a half, six pounds for a day for nothing, but I got a lot out of it. But luckily there are a few shows I think that do a pretty good job of showing, even though they, every say every, every episode is successful in some form or fashion, they break it down to let you know, like, Hey, this, you know, I'm showing you successful ones for my clients or for whatever myself, but there's another side of hunting that, you know, 90% of the time that we're not, or, you know, 75% of the time that we go out and come back, you know, it's not success, but I think that content people don't want to see because they, they want to turn on the YouTube or the hunting show or the channel or whatever. They want to see success right then and right then. And now I like this microwave life that we live like, Hey, I want results. I want to be an ultra runner by next week, or I want to kill a sheep next week or something like that without putting in the work and understanding the process that goes behind, um, what a, what a true backpack hunt is or hunting a big rutted up, whitetail in the midwest in november and and patterning him and putting all these hours in a tree stand and stuff like that that's just as time consuming mentally and physically than it is you know on a big mountain hunt because like those guys are a special kind of breed to sit in a stand for 20 some days back to back to back to try to kill one specific deer um is that's a whole other kind of insanity because i can't sit still very long and if i do i'm usually napping or snacking um but yeah i just I don't think a lot of these big TV shows depict um, the true failures and success that go in with hunting. So you can see that. Yeah. And it's just like same thing with running. Like every time you like people strike out, strike out to do a hundred mile or like they don't always finish, but it seems like when they post on social media, it's like, it's always a success, right? Like, right. And as long as you got a, you, you got a successful moment out of it, then yeah, sure. But there's also, a lot of failures and with all these successes. Yeah, we call yeah, it. I mean, I, I we call it a DNF. Did not finish, but you know, ooh, it's, I'm DNF'd a lot. Then, yeah, I DNF with, every with, day. I think with with relationships <laughs> and with women. So, what would you say is your like? If you had a million dollars to spend, I mean, maybe million dollars isn't even enough nowadays, but. Let's just say that you could afford any <laughs> hunt in the world for a million dollars. What what's your ideal hunt? What are you doing? Ooh, stone uh stone sheep, um, horseback in British Columbia. Cool. Yeah. 
What what's the yeah, fascination right. with stone sheep? It's just because it's the most expensive, uh, and I, that's where you had the money, or? Well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. And yeah, I think stone. Well, that because I can't like being a uh, obviously in a, a, a resident of the United States. Like I can't draw that tag. I can't move to that state and get a chance to hunt them. Like I have to pay have to pay money for a guide unless I go up there and live. And even then, like it's crazy hard for a lower forty eight guy to move to Canada and become a resident so like that's out of the process but i think looking back at the olden days and the guys hunting stone sheep and i think they they look amazing like they're just a beautiful a beautiful animal of the mountain and then doing the old horseback like taking a horseback all the way in i think that'd be pretty damn special and you're looking at sixty thousand dollars plus probably i mean for a good stone sheep for a reputable outfitter you know the whole process of leaving the lower 48 flying into white horse or wherever you're flying into and then taking smaller planes than the base camp. And then from base camp, you're spiking out with horses and the whole, like a 14 day stone sheep. I would probably, you know, if I had, a, a, you know, multiple commas in my checking account, it would be <laughs> stone sheep with, you know, like a, maybe a bear hunt or, um, you know, caribou, or moose or something like that, but it would be hundred percent a stone sheep hunt. Yeah. Stone sheep. Um, or even like a Argali, but I would say stone sheep. Yeah. Nice. Well, maybe yeah, one of our sure. sponsors on not our sponsors, maybe one of our listeners will sponsor you for mm. I make it, I make a pretty good uh, egg and cheese sandwich, um, with white bread. Um, pretty thick on the gravy. Yeah. Mm. I'm an average snuggler. <laughs> So how, how would you, if someone's looking to getting to hunted, hunting archery or rifle, or just in general, where should these people go look? Where, where should they go ask questions in the community? Um, hunting is a, some places is not a good thing. Um, just by people, how they treat the hunters as we were talking about. Yeah. So what I would think, you say for someone that's listening that wants to get into hunting? How would they start? I think- social media is like is a powerful thing right like we're in the forefront i'm not really say the front of it but everything social media these days so there are some some positive content out there um there's a guy billy moles out of wisconsin he does a really good job of of producing content of what hunting i think really is um there's a bunch of different agencies that can get you into hunting um but i think you know your typical like you know, if you don't want to get into hunting like you know, seek out your local game and fish office. They, they offer a lot of um, support and in getting into that, uh, that realm, but like this, a white tailed deer. I mean, that's, that thing is uh, white tails hunted all the way across the United States. Um, and it's, it's, you can lose your mind on trying to kill a, a big white tail in a lot of States, but you know, you can do a lot of mentor hunts. Cause like we can do mentor hunts out here. There's some guys that work that, you know, people say mentor and they think about kids but it's just people who don't have the means or the capabilities or the knowledge to go out and being me as a mentor, I can mentor that person and having that, you know, that a successful hunt or, you know, their first deer and being a part of that with them. And a lot of States have that, um, that program involved. So reach out to, you know, your local DNR and stuff like that to see what kind of programs are in effect. And then, you know, I think it's, it comes down to having a good set of morals and ethics behind who the person is. And they, you can weed out the bullshit with people, right? Like just like with runners and the fitness, like you see these people who are like blew up overnight, 
but there's no clout. There's no depth behind the eyes. But you can see these guys and gals on social media who are just trying to make a quick buck, who have been in the game for six minutes and they have their 15 minutes of fame and they're just complete idiots. Um, but there are a few guys and gals out there that really promote the, the passion or, you know, some people call it a sport, but I look at it as a, as, you know, the old saying of a way of life. Like I love, I love seeing people success in the mountain or in the woods, but you know, if you have a good, a good compass and you, you know, you're good on these, you know, different social media sites. And I try to do a good job of posting people that I think are, are promoting, um, the, you know, hunting as a pastime or as, as a, as a movement or love or passion, um, versus a lot of these people who are just idiots because the fact of the matter, you, people who, you know, don't hunt, they don't, they don't understand it. You know, the, 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 the funny thing is like you and I sit here and talk to each other because someone in our life was a strong hunter and or gatherer, right? You might not, you might not enjoy like the hunting and you understand it. And, and I'll, I'll sit down with anybody and then try to understand where, well, how hunting comes into effect of who we are as humans. But I promise you, no one along my lines were just really good at picking berries. Um, right. And somehow I'm here, right? Like, nope, like that, there was a time and place to where like meat, you know, you had to bring home the meat. Like that was just, if you were shitty at it, well, you got weeded out pretty damn quickly. And then your, your tribe or your clan or, you know, your group of people didn't survive and they just perished. So to be here sitting, talking with you and like the, just shows that someone along our ancestral lines was very good at doing a few things really well. And, uh, I think we we lose back to that and a lot of these people don't understand that, you know, where their food comes from. And, you know, I can look at it and tell you exactly where mine came from. And, and it's, it's pretty special because I am a part of you know, every moment of that. And it's, it means a lot more. So, but going back to like, you know, where people could, you know, try to get into hunting, like your local agencies do a pretty good job. And then just having that moral compass, you know, and, and reaching out to people and don't be afraid. Cause I get messages all the time about people like, and you know, I, I damn sure don't claim to know everything. I don't think anyone ever does about anything they're passionate about. And they're always can always learn whether it be from someone who's did it for their entire life. And, you know, they have a slew of knowledge or someone who's just starting out like it's different different mindsets and perspectives to everything and uh, seeking out those people and asking those questions. Cause the people who really care about the, about hunting and outdoors and stuff like that, they will give you an honest and thoughtful answer because like a lot of those people who are just in it for fame and, and free gear and to grow their social media and make money and have an only fans and all this bullshit, which that's your way of making money. So be it. But they're out there um, showing feet on the hunt. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I'm trying to pay for a stone sheep feet. Like, hunt. like I'm trying to pimp <laughs> these souls out, buddy. Like I got some, I got some blisters on one of my foot. Like they could sell for 15 bucks a picture. Um, I got blisters <laughs> and robbers all day long. <laughs> yeah. You probably got a lot. Yeah. Yours are a lot worse. Like at least mine's like, I just tape mine up to like whatever, but I could show you chafing. That'll give you nightmares. Uh, oh, gross. <laughs> but yeah, Robbie, I think, you know, people, if anybody's listening, like reach out to people who you think, is making a difference on a positive aspect, uh, and into hunting and just ask the question, you know, like, Hey, you know, swallow your pride and, and humility is part of life. And it's like, Hey, I don't know shit about this. How do I go from A to B 
and get my foot in the door. And I think the real people who actually give a shit about helping others, um, just don't get discouraged because I'm sure there's going to be assholes out there that you think um, are positive and like want to help. And then you slide into their DMS or messages or whatever comments. And they totally, you know, you know, out, out, uh, ostracize you. And then, you know, you move on with your life because those people aren't worth the, or those those are e-bike people. We don't want those people in our lives. <laughs> so that's the way I look at it. Hey, you mentioned something that kind of like struck and struck with me. And um, you mentioned just like knowing where your food came from and like the deer that I killed this year. I, I, you know, I was super happy and proud, even though it wasn't a big one. It wasn't a monster. It's like I'm still eating on that deer. And like right. I did everything. I killed the deer. I quartered it out. Uh, me and my buddy packed it out five miles. Uh, the next day we quartered it up and we packaged it up. And it's like, I did everything for that. And I was, I was super happy for that. And that was the kind of the first time that I've ever like not taken it to a processor or, you know, I'm from East Texas where you could pretty much drive a four wheeler or a truck, you know, pretty much anywhere in the South, you could probably drive a truck or four wheeler to, to your deer stand yeah. and pull your deer out. But, you know, and so like I had to actually work for that deer and that was really the first experience that I had that I actually had to put in work and then, you know, I corded it up and, you know, put all the the muscles in different bags and I've, you know, eaten on it the entire year and made jerky and ground, ground a lot of it up. And it's just like, that means a lot more from me than if I was to go to the grocery store and buy burger. And then I even buy, um, a cow from a local rancher. And so, you know, not only am I supporting a local rancher in his business, I'm getting quality meat from him as well. And right. it's the same thing with like deer, venison, elk, sheep, whatever you want to go hunt, like you're getting quality meat. And I, I don't know, I appreciate that a lot more. It's like, I know where my meat came from. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's me. We're, but. we're so disconnected as a country oh, of where it yes. comes from these days. I yeah mean, and, and it's can blame yeah, it on like, the media whoever we want but oh yeah you, we can just get to the grocery store and grab something off the shelf yeah and then like you know i i buy from the same rancher as you know we, a lot of us do and i it, you know going over there helping them with that whole process is is with branding and with like this little bit of stuff that we do it means a lot more um because you know, you're helping them you're learning yourself in the process and the meat just tastes so much better like um, versus going to a store and buying meat. Like it's just, I mean, yeah, I, I get chicken every now and then, but for the most part, I'm still eating on stuff out of my freezer. Um, and then all that beef that I bought from, you know, the rancher, it, it tastes so much better. It's just so much, it's just more enjoyable. You know, like if it's like, like with you guys, like if I just went out there and like, Oh, I, you know, I, here's my buckle. I didn't do any work for it. I didn't have any sweat in the game. Like it, it would, you would still have it, but it wouldn't be as meaningful or, or a story worth telling, like, yeah. you know, like it just it doesn't mean shit. Like, Oh yeah, I got it. You know, like you know, I wrote a checkbook, or I wrote a checkout to it. And like, and my guide went down there and did all the work for it. And now I'm, I'm sitting back at camp drinking a beer while they take care of it. Like, like if that's your persona, I guess, but like, I just think it means more to, to understand every part of the process from scouting or getting the tag, the scouting, putting the time in going down there, you know, learning, you know, about whatever you're after being successful and taking one, taking an animal, breaking everything down and sharing it with a friend, sharing it with your family. And it's just like, 
you can tell every like same thing when like I pick up a shed. Like most of the sheds I have at the house, I can tell you exactly where I picked it up because it, it's just like an adult Easter egg hunt to me. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> to, I, I found it right there, and this is like another nine miles, and I pick up another one, but that one's special. I feel um, like if there was a uh, professional shed hunting, my wife would be like the person that would probably win that championship. She doesn't find a lot, but she just finds them in places that like you would think that that would just be the most overpicked area. She'd be like, Oh, those, right. are those are shit. I'm like, what, how are you finding all these things? <laughs> There's been 500 people on this trail. Like what yeah. are you finding sheds here, but they look all That's the so time. Funny. I haven't found one yet. Yeah. That's so funny. But yeah, I think it just, um, through the process that just, it means more for people who have that, that drive to see things through. Yeah. Well, you were, you were mentioned before, um, we, we, we wouldn't be here without someone killing something for us to eat. Where, where did we lose that? And why did we lose that? I mean, we're so disconnected from food and how yeah. we get it these days. What, I mean, what do you think what, led to that? I think the, I mean, well, like the invention of say like fast food, right? Like, you know, like the, I don't know, I guess maybe after what world war two, maybe something like, you know, like that turn of the century, like being, you know, people started, you know, adapting to more into the, the cities and it was quicker and easier and more efficient, you know, per se versus like, you know, people coming from the farms and the woods and the mountains and stuff like that. And like actually happened to raise livestock or go hunt and stuff like that. And you just had these, you know, it, basically the industrial revolution and everything else is things were in the cities and people understood like, Oh, well, I don't have to do any of this hard manual labor. The, the generations is, you know, weeding itself out. And so a lot of us are still trying to hang on to our ancestral ways in a, in a sense, because we still are connected to connected to the earth in that manner. But it, it's just as easy as like, well, I don't have to do any of this hard work. I don't even have to put underwear on to run in the store and pick up fucking 10 pounds of burger or whatever right out the store and be home. And, or even like if it's a fast food, right. I think that, that this, you know, the newer generations coming up, you know, are, we're losing it. We're losing ground as, you know, by the, by the decade or by the year, because, you know, everything is so efficient now it's on our phone. We can boom, I can, I can pull up my phone. I can have Uber Eats or whatever, um, deliver stuff to the house. And I, I get that that is beneficial in some way. Cause we all, we all have lazy days, right? Like it's not right. like everybody's out there grinding hundred mile days. Like it's fucking, that's just, that's just dumb. Like you might have that mindset every day, but there's some days you're just like, Oof, I just need a fucking day. You know, like I kind of want to eat cookie dough and sit at the fucking house and watch Netflix. Like we all <laughs> have those days. Right. But like, it still doesn't change us who we are internally. And I think, you know, the society and just, um, and everything is, is building around efficiency, but we're becoming too efficient that we're losing, we're losing the battle that got us here. You know, like, mm-hmm. That's just my kind of two cents on it. It's just, yeah, no, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you kind of, it kind of sucks because you, well, taking our aspect of things, like you train for a hundred miler for six to eight months. That's a lot of time. I mean, you put, I think in my last race, I put like four and and this is even in the low end of things, but 14 to 1600 miles just to run a hundred miles. And it's like, you're yeah. out there grinding 40 to 60 miles a week to put in for 
essentially one day of racing. And that's kind of the same concept as like what you're talking about. Like, you know, you've trained for it, you've bought gear for it, you've, you've studied maps, you've studied everything for, yeah, you're more than one day, you're 10 days, but it's 10 days out of a year that you're putting into this. And, you know, so I know hundred percent agree. Yeah. I think people want results like this. There's, there's people in this world country that want results and they want it now without having to suffer for it. And it's just, it's a, it's breeding like wildfire because we're becoming more and more quote unquote, uh, efficient as a human race. And it's, I think it's going to, it's going to backfire one day because when it comes back to having to have those skills and people don't have them anymore because they can't order something on their phone or drive down to the local, whatever, and buy it, but it's going to weed out some people real fast, quick in a hurry. Yeah, for sure. So. It just, it sucks. But I mean, like at the same point, it's like, ah, I'm okay with it. Cause like where I go hunting in the woods and stuff, I'm not overcrowded. So that's cool. You guys can go buy your fucking shit and not have to worry about me. But for the people who are out there trying to learn about it or, you know, still trying to, to hang on to that the ancestral ways of some sort, then you can go be it like and live it up because it's a, it's a pretty special time to be in the woods and the mountains and the, and the rivers and stuff. And to see how life, you know, is, you know, is interacting with you. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm an environmentalist, but I have an environmental degree, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I did it because I care about, I do care about the environment and anyone who's an outdoorsman cares about the environment in one way or the other. And, you know, I want sustainability for the things that I enjoy, you know, hunting, running trails. Like I want that to be there for the next person. And, and, you know, and so I care about that, but you know, a lot of times hunters get a bad name for, Oh yeah, you're going out there and killing animals. But what a lot of people don't realize is hunting and fishing are the largest conservationist in America. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of our licenses and tags that we spend hundreds of dollars on goes back into conservation. Um, and, And that's the reason why I decided to pursue the degree that I did, because I care about the environment and taking care of it for the next, you know, hunter, the next trail runner, whatever your passion sport may be. That's, that's the one reason why I got the degree that I got because I wanted to learn more about, you know, essentially how I can help. And, um, and I I think that's a a topic that we can definitely discuss at another time, but it's, it's crazy to me that, you know, hunting gets such a bad name, but yet the, you know, like I just said, the, we're the number one conservationist in the, in America, like you have bird watchers out there. How many bird watchers are donating hundreds of dollars? And I'm sure there's some out there, but how many are donating hundreds of dollars to conservation, to their local state, to help out, to build that wetland that they're going to be observing the birds at? Very few. Yeah. But yeah. you, uh, you, when you buy your federal duck stamp, your state duck stamp, and your hunting license, you're directly contributing to those wetlands. Yeah, it adds up real quick. It does. So I mean, I got, I got like fifteen hundred bucks invested in Montana this fall, just yeah. on two tags that yeah. 
are are no way, shape, or form guaranteed. Because like if you look at it as a guaranteed tag, then you're looking at it for the wrong reasons. Like no, no one's guaranteed me that I come home with an elk or a deer this season. And I'm I understand that before I even apply for, before I even even step in the woods, like I understand that this, I'm just I'm buying a I'm buying a opportunity. That's it. Yeah. But you not only have $1,500, that's $1,500 that goes towards conservation and back to the state, but you also yeah. are supporting, um, I'm sure you're not going to Cabela's in those big towns. You're going to the local store, buying yeah. stuff, you're you're buying fuel from the mom and pop shop, like you're supporting yeah. that community as well, you know, so. Yeah. Well, well, hey man, we've gotten on a lot of tangents today and, um, you know, we've, we've gone up some very controversial walls, but. I've enjoyed the hell out of listening to your stories. Um, you got, yes, you've had some awesome experiences, two hunts in Alaska. We didn't really hunt on the, or hit on the Montana hunt, but, uh, you, you know, you've got tons of like mule deer, whitetail going after sheep, going after elk. Like I would consider you a true American backpack hunter. And so, um, I definitely appreciate the time that you've given us probably a little over two hours already, uh, for this podcast, but we ask a couple of questions at the end of our podcast. Um, and we usually are in the running world. So this is going to be interesting, but, um, <laughs> our first question is what kind of gear are you using? Oh man, that list is long. Uh, well, we'll go over the big ones. Um, you know, boots I'm running, uh, I got a few different, I got a shitload of boots, but like <laughs> mo- mainly this, this fall I've used Scarpa's, uh, they're Italian mountaineer, mountaineering boot. I got s- some stiffer sole, some not so stiffer, stiffer sole, some insulated, some non-insulated, depending on the hunt. Uh, most of my gear is, I, I got a stone glacier pack. I run an exo pack. Um, so I have multiple packs, whether I'm going in for extended period of time or if I'm going in day hunts, that way they're, they're set up completely different. Um, a lot of my gear, like as far as, is kind of tailored to Kuyu. Not that it's a, it, it just, whatever fits. I have mountain hardware shit. I have, I mean, um, what else do I have? Kuyu. I have, um, some Duckworth stuff. I have some like alpaca stuff, like just some, some American made shit. Um, you know, I, archery, I shoot a Bowtech. Um, Rifle, I, I'm a I'm a Tika guy, so I got a Tika 300 Win Mag that I I got built um, for Alaska, which it'll it'll bleed into Montana for elk um, and deer. Uh, what else, man? I, yeah, the list is I mean I, it's a little mile long, but um, what else? Big the big ones. Vinyl harness is a big deal. Just being able to protect you and carry your optics accordingly, which is uh, I run a marsupial gear. I like those guys. They do pretty good work, all made in America. Um, I know a lot of the I know a lot of the gear you're mentioning kind of seems like minus the boots. A lot of the gear that you're mentioning is kind of American made gear. Yeah, it's it's hard to get away from you know not buying shit from overseas, but um, but I try to do the best I can. But it's just you know the 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 market's just not there it, it, to to sustain it in America. There's some really good companies that do um, like I, I got. I swear on the outdoorsman stuff like the pan heads and tripods out of Arizona. Those guys make bomb proof shit. Um, I mean, none of this, you know, good gear is not going to be cheap. So not that I'm, you, you can't get away with cheaper gear. Um, but, uh, once you, once you dedicated your sole purpose of doing these things, like, you know, 
cheap gear turns into medium quality gear, turns into top tier gear just because you're committed, not just because you need it to be successful because hell, I know guys that go out there and kill stuff in Crocs. Like it's not a big deal. Um, but once, you know, you live like my bed is on pallets that I found in a parking lot. Like that's what I, I don't give a shit about materialistic things like all my clothes are in tote boxes in a, my room. Like, but I have multiple $600 backpacks and $500 pair of boots. Not that, not that you need these, this high end gear, but it's what I've committed to outfitting my life for is because like that stuff will, it'll last longer. It'll keep me on the mountain and I can, you know, I can spend most of my time in the, in the woods. That's just why I, I like it. So, yeah, cool. Well, thanks, man. Hey, uh, second question is, uh, who should we as a podcast interview next? So we're trying to grow, Ooh. we're trying to grow our network and it doesn't have to be running based. It has to be hunting based. It can be anyone, you know, you know, our platform, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So yeah, we, we just want to know like who, who in your opinion should we interview next? Ooh. I know we caught you off guard with that one. It's a good one though. It is a good one. <laughs> I mean, who the hell? You've already, oh, you already did Gary? Nope. I mean, he's, he's had you on his. What's, why would not put, put Gary on there? I know. I, yeah, I have. He's about to go do a, a POW uh, deer hunt. So I'm, I'm going to wait till he gets back. But gotcha. I, think that, I think that's a good one as well. I've kind of had him in the yeah. back of mine. Uh, he's already actually on the list, so. Oh. So, yeah, give me another one. <laughs> uh, well, fuck. I mean, what about Nick? Yeah, Nick would be a good one. We'll do Nick. Nick would be a good one. Yeah, Nick's, Nick's got a little bit of everything. I mean, he's, I, I, I owe these podcasts. I know it seems dumb, but I owe a lot of the, what I've learned through Nick. So, like, if any, like, when I first, my first podcast with the XO Mountain guys and, I like, and they, they asked me the same question. I was like, look, I can't, I can't do this out. Like you guys talking to him because he's the one, you know, people won't listen to me talking, whatever bullshit. We just basically bullshitting as friends, but like that's, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, Hey man, uh, we'll give you, uh, we'll give you a little bit of time, um, blast out your social medias where, where people can find you, um, at, you know, let, let people know anybody's looking into getting into hunting or anybody got questions or um, just want to shoot the shit. Where, where can people find you? Uh, I'm mainly on Instagram and you can find me at mustache underscore memoirs. Um, so if you're thinking about it or you, you know, you want, you have any questions to shoot my way, just, just shoot me a message and I'll do my best to answer them. And if, uh, I, if I can't get answer you, I'm sure I got a buddy who, who can, or I can point you in the right direction. So be happy to help because no one gets to the top alone. So, um, yeah, just shoot me a message. Sweet, man. Check him out on social media, mustache memoirs. He's got some awesome videos and, um, he's recently got into, uh, photography. He's got some cool pictures out there. So, uh, go out there, mustache memoirs on Instagram, check him out. Uh, you can also find him on OnlyFans, Mustache Memoirs. <laughs> I'm, I'm, strictly doing, I'm, I'm strictly doing feet stuff right now, so just, just bear with me. Hey, thanks, Logan, for coming on, man. We had a great yeah, chat. Thanks. Um, yeah, I hope thanks, that the, the three listeners enjoy this. So, yeah, uh, appreciate it. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced and edited by Backbeat Sound. Come and find us on Instagram at BackbeatSound1776 or email us at BackbeatSound1776 at gmail.com. <laughs>